Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Good evening and welcome to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, we are, remarkably, on Series 16, Episode 26, June the 30th, and it's just after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday night in the UK. Nice to have your company wherever you are in the world, either behind us or in front of us in time. Uh, again, Tim away while the footy's on, uh, so he's on assignment uh, doing other stuff. Uh, so we've got Kerry up in London tonight to make sure we are speaking to the world. And all the usual features, uh, including uh, our uh, us usual complement of contributors, uh, including Declan Brennell, who will join us in the second hour for a bit of two-wheel talk. Uh, more about that in the moment. Uh, we've got Shea and Nick lined up, ready to go from the start of the show. Our big interview tonight... Over in Watkins Glen is Ollie Jarvis, and he'll be talking to us about the Edomitsu Mazda win at the weekend in the six hours of the Glen. We'll pick up a whole load of news and uh, comment as well. From yourselves too, of course, at Specutainment, please. Hello to Porsche Sport. No AFAs tuned in line tonight, live tonight. Really enjoyed the interviews and the coverage from Pikes Peak at the weekend, particularly the Larry Chen interview. Larry's brilliant, isn't he? Absolutely brilliant. I've, I've found another kindred spirit there, Porsche Sport. Totally agree. Check out the uh, the website. Check out the Larry Chen photos uh, website. Phenomenal. Right Turn Lover is spending the evening joyfully with his mum. Quite right too. He'll be catching up on the podcast, uh, which is absolutely fine. Uh, hello to Dave Alcock, who's joining us this evening to find out how uh, Richard Westbrook's fluffy bunny slippers fitted into the Mazda. Uh, I shall ask later on. Uh, hello to uh, uh, Alan Space, who's listening in for a bit of NASCAR news tonight. Big NASCAR news as well, uh, that one. Uh, Kevin Payne set up to listen live again tonight. Looking forward to hearing to Ollie Jarvis. Uh, no AFAs from the Colonel tonight. Looking forward to another exciting episode. <laughs> Just waking up from the Styrian Grand Prix. Now, now, Alexander Orton, no AFAs. Uh, looking forward to Funshaw. Uh, roast pork with a pear, walnut and parmesan salad. Must be a thing about pork at the moment. We had, uh, we had a pork roast dinner uh, yesterday uh, before the Haggerty Show. And uh, we've had schnitzel tonight, which was uh, rather splendid. Uh, Chris Suku, no AFAs, looking around Leamington for some hot food for dinner, looking forward to the show. There's a couple of good curry houses in uh, Royal Leamington Spa. Um, schnitzel isn't sausage shape, by the way. Um, 
It's flattened pork. Uh, Chris Suku, that was. Uh, this will be followed by some work in the study for the first hour and some pottering in the second. Uh, Otter, FR, uh, is uh, listening in live. Le Mans 24 hours tickets are coming, he says. Excellent. Neil Gardner's working the uh, Labradoodle Mini. Uh, and uh, he's just on his way back right now. Carol Brink, apologies for absence. Uh, we feel your pain, Carol. We know what's going on. Hopefully uh, all works out well. Uh, uh, Blurfiend, uh, listening live, 7.18, getting service while the programme is on. Cracking race the past weekend. Best part is we get to do it again on Fridays. Talking IMSA there uh, as well. Uh, and... Uh, that, we'll start that on Thursday, uh, in fact. Uh, Jack Martin is listening in from the future in Australia. Uh, hello, Jack. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, and uh, who else have we got? Ian McCarthy. Uh, archive for him in the morning whilst he uh, is, at the moment, edge of the couch for the final stint of the WGI. Uh, he says, oh, sorry, edge of the couch got to work out for the final stint, I see. Um, he'll be listening in tomorrow morning. Phil Anson. Hello, Phil. A windswept and dusty Dubai. Uh, Phil is our brilliant colleague who helps us out when we're at Dubai Autodrome. And we haven't heard from Phil for a while. Good to know that you are well and listening in, Phil. Uh, and mm, what, nearly midnight, just after midnight over there uh, in the UAE at the moment. The great Gonzo. Coffee in the garden midweek. Motorsport Live, get in. Uh, who's that munching on Rolos? That'll be Doug Amner, who <laughs> has gone retro with the snacks this evening. And Motor Racing UK listening live, driving out from a uh, drying out from a wet weekend at Croft, where a Mark II Fiesta was fast enough to qualify 14th on a 21-car <laughs> classic grid. Oh, I would have loved that. No airfares from Jonathan Mayne. Goodwood RRC driving some superb cars. Uh, at Goodwood. I'm very envious, Jonathan. And Smudger, looking forward to listening to the show live for the first time uh, in a while from the sunny Isle of Man. Smudger, thanks for being with us. At Specutainment, if you want to comment, we've got plenty you might want to be talking about tonight. But let's get in to the top stories. Papers are shuffled. Here's the news. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And as the new jingle fades gently into the background, we will say hello both to Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, John. Good evening, everyone. And to Cher Adam. Hello, Cher. Hello. Excellent. Uh, two big stories in the news tonight. Uh, I've got some rally news coming uh, as well, which I'm, I'll, I'm not going to let Nick doors off for but let's start on two wheels Nick with the rumour that became a story which has now become confirmed Maverick Vinales is breaking his contract with Yamaha at the end of this season and walking away on a huge pay deal. Yes now I know we have um, we talked to Declan um, in hour two about this so I'll, I'll just say that when when the announcement was made when he said oh I'm I'm leaving I'm leaving Yamaha that's it we can't we can't get on anymore it's no more you know it's like when, when you're about 15 and and you desperately wanted to, to, to break with your girlfriend but but you can't because of various things and then she breaks up with you and you have to pretend to be sad um, that's what Yamaha were doing they were pretending to be sad he was going and then then 
fist bump humping behind and, and you know already forming a new relationship with Frankie Morbidelli. Uh, okay. Uh, as Nick says, that's a huge story. Too much for our quick fire news part of the programme. We'll get Declan Brennan uh, to talk about that. And we'll also have a look at the the grids of the paddock uh, as it's around about halfway through the year in GP. So we'll get Nick back in hour two. Plenty more for Nick to talk about. But that is a huge story. It would be like, how would we describe that in the car world? Would that be um, for Verstappen leave? Because no, the, the rumour is he's going to a not, team that's not very good. Would that be like... Verstappen. It's like, let's say, Ricciardo leaving because things aren't going very well at McLaren. And he's going to Haas. And walking away from his two years, he's got... He, he, so he, he'd be walking away from a, from, from a similar amount of money for a similar reason. He doesn't feel very happy where he is. And going somewhere that seems a bit rubbish. Let's say Williams. Because there's potential at Aprilia. There's no potential at Haas. Okay, fine. <laughs> Talk about that in the second hour. The other big... Uh, news is from NASCAR um, and uh, Sheer Adam is on this. Chip Ganassi is selling Chip Ganassi's NASCAR uh, race team, effectively. The whole of his uh, NAS- uh, Chip Ganassi's racing's uh, NASCAR operation. This is huge news. It is huge news and it has a big sports car tie too because the NASCAR operation portion of Chip Ganassi racing has been purchased by Trackhouse Racing, which is Justin Marks' NASCAR team. Uh, Justin approached Chip with an offer. Chip had not been interested in selling it before, and Chip thought it was a really good idea. He was sold on it by Justin's proposal, and he's he's been saying a lot today that this is the start of a new surge of a new generation in NASCAR, Mm. that perhaps people such as um, Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin, um, Pitbull, Justin, perfect example. These people who are coming into the sport with a fresh take on things and and new ideas, maybe it's their time to build the next Hendricks, Ganassi, Penske. And he's made the first step towards that. Yeah, this came out uh, at the NASCAR Hall Hall of Fame on a live stream. Uh, on NASCAR.com, um, what, about an hour ago? Um, yeah. Maybe a, a little bit more. No, actually, it was about an hour ago. I, I watched some of the the press conference, and I was very intrigued to hear uh, what Chip Ganassi said about this. And uh, he looked very thoughtful, uh, and he said the initial call with Justin reminded him of the one he had 20 years ago when Felix Sabates wanted yeah. to buy in. And his direct quote, and I've written this down, the sport is ready for some young blood. I think you're going to see a new generation of owners. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. And we don't know much uh, about what this new... Uh, organization will look like yet. We do know that Trackhouse Racing will step up to two full-time cars for next year. Currently, they run Daniel Suarez, and they've said that he will continue to be a part of their organization as a driver. But it leaves Ross Chastain and Kurt Busch, the two drivers for Chip Ganassi Racing this year, at a question mark, will one of them get the second seat? Will it be somebody completely unexpected? Now's not the time for that. Now is the time to celebrate that Justin Marks is seeing a dream lived out. I'm so happy for he and his wife. Yeah, and in terms of Chip Ganassi, then, um, he's got NTT IndyCar Series team, Extreme E team, and the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car team. This part is, is just the NASCAR part of it. Let's just say that. This, uh, and, you know, established back in 
the late 80s um, under, I think it was called Team Sabco by Felix Sabates. Um, if if I'm uh, if I'm correct, uh, under under that, it's a, it's a while back ago. Um, so, does this free up Chip to do more other stuff, or is this just Chip calling time on NASCAR? I'm not sure what it says about NASCAR. <laughs> Anything? Yeah. You know. I I don't know the answer to that either. Um, the the distinguishing feature that I can think about is that. Chip Ganassi Racing is based in a few different places. The IndyCar team is based out of Indianapolis. The IMSA team is also based out of Indianapolis. The NASCAR shop down in, I believe, Mooresville, might be Henderson, in North Carolina. Um, so they are completely different buildings, completely different right. entities, and if and, and different companies. You know, if if one of the teams was to be legally sued for some reason, they couldn't come after the IndyCar team by going through the NASCAR team, so you. to speak. Got you. They, so are, they are separate. Separate entities. We do yes. know that Chip is looking to uh, put himself in a position uh, for a, a manufacturer, LMDH. Uh, many, <laughs> many meetings went on at the uh, Detroit Belle Isle Grand Prix. Um, it will surprise no one to know that, that that they were with GM. He's running a Cadillac now. He won that race. That won't have done him any harm. So what we can say here is Chip Ganassi Racing is not going away in in the areas that aren't the NASCAR. No, and Chip Ganassi likes winning. He likes winners. He's won in every single form. I'm not sure if Kurt Busch has a win this year. Actually, I need to check on that um no he doesn't um so kurt and ross are the two of his three total drivers underneath the banner of chip ganassi racing that haven't won a race so far this year but chip has a lot of success in indycar with the four cars he's had success in imsa he's looking for even more success in imsa this is definitely not chip hanging up the hat so to speak he's sticking around Uh, that story will develop undoubtedly breaking just about an hour ago that track house racing um who will take over has bought up effectively um the chip ganassi racing nascar operation and remember justin marks only formed track house in october last year and he said he was going to be a disruptive force in nascar well i tell you what he's he's Certainly cracked that one. Shay, I'm going to stay with you for Pikes Peak at the weekend. The race to the clouds, uh, disrupted by unseasonable weather uh, at... Uh, <laughs> just doing the joy thing. Um, yeah. At, at the mountain, which meant a shortened course, um, start line to 16 mile because it was uh, too bad at the top. Johnny and Bruce with our... Uh, live stream presented by Mobile One. It went really well. Thoroughly enjoyed it. It's there to watch if you want. All the links are still on radioshow.co.uk or radio-show.co.uk. And uh, Robin Shute won overall his second King of the Mountain title in the number 49 uh, 2018 Wolf G808 TSC LT, which is effectively a single-seat stroke uh, prototype car. Uh, and he went up in 555.2 on the shortened 
uh, course. Wow. Well, it was shortened. It was shortened quite a lot. But still. Yeah, I know. In those conditions, it was cold. Romain Dumas wins time attack one in second place overall with vehicle number 38, which could only be the champion 2019 911 GT2 RS Club Sport. 631.9. Uh, Crucially, four seconds ahead of the Bentley Continental, piloted by Rhys Millen, who is fourth overall behind Paul Dallenbach in a, one of the Dallenbach specials. Um, a phenomenal run by Roman Dumas, marking champion's return to competitive motorsport. And we were all very happy when we saw that. Very, very, very happy about that for sure. Uh, and, you know, Dave would be happy about that too. Um, his phrase was always one last one. So, you know, the champion racing is never going to be completely out of motorsport as far as that is concerned. But yeah, the big thing for champion, and, and I know this in talking to a few of the people involved with that program, was trying to beat the Bentley. And they were worried about the loss of pace at the top of the mountain yes. more than anything else. So the shortened course definitely played into their favor uh, on that. But Roman Dumas now with the perfect record for champion racing. I, I think he's one and done for them, don't you? <laughs> no, no, I absolutely don't. And, and I, the, the other thing is, interestingly, um, for that for our live stream at the weekend, I talked to the guys at Bentley. They said this was going to be their third and final effort, but they didn't win it. So oh. I wonder if that Continental GT3 will come back and and go again with Reese Millen. First time he's driven a, a fully fledged race car for Bentley up there. But the other two have both been production cars uh, on which he's won and broken wet records. Um, <laughs> they didn't get a chance at the record, the 936 point, whatever it was, because they didn't do the full uh, the full run. Uh, just a note, by the way, we had uh, the champion engineer back with champion, uh, Howden Haynes, on the Haggerty Inside Track on Tuesday in video We've got the audio from that, and that will play after Midweek Motorsport tonight. If you didn't see it on Tuesday, it's well worth listening to, um, along with uh, H uh, from Progressive and Champion Porsche, Tom Sullivan from Michelin Motorsport, and there was a lot of talk about tyres and when to change tyres and what tyres to use. And we also had uh, the Brian Hurd Autosport drivers from Hyundai, Mark Wilkins and Michael Lewis from uh, the Elantra and Veloster uh, race teams in in uh, Michelin Pilot Challenge. It was a, I really enjoyed it. It was a really good show. We had some fabulous guests. It's the guests that make it. Um, the audio from that will play straight after Midweek Motorsport tonight. If you want to watch it again as well, that's fine. It was all in vision via the Haggerty community channels at haggerty.com. And where the live was is also where the archive of that is. Right, so I can close that one now. Uh, <laughs> how are you with heights, Nick? Fine. So, all right to go at the top of Pikes Peak then? Yeah, no problem at all. Oh, okay. I'm not, I'm, not going, I'm not going off a 10 metre diving board, but apart from that, I'm fine. Oh, you see, I, that's not a problem. Isn't that funny? I'm petrified of heights, like falling off the side of a mountain, or right. I, I dro drove across the Dartford Crossing the other day, and... Um, I couldn't be in the extreme right lane in the car. I had to come back towards <laughs> the middle. Yeah. It was completely doing my head in. Yeah, you and Johnny But I can dive off a diving board. Well. Johnny uh, goes to such extremes, John, that he will drive around Long Beach to get oh, to the so racetrack so from our hotel. So he doesn't have to do the bridge. Oh, yep. I, that bridge is scary. It is scary. <laughs> uh, for the first time in 19 years, 
the East Africa Safari, what used to be the East Africa Safari Rally, was back at the WRC calendar. It was called Safari Rally Kenya this week, uh, last weekend, sorry. Uh, and it was a more European style than it used to be, but still through stunning scenery, uh, plenty of big game in the background. It was uh, Sebastian Ogier who uh, won it after looking like he was out of contention early on, fought back uh, and won by 22 seconds near enough from a best result ever by uh, the Japanese driver uh, Katsuta-san with Daniel Barrett alongside him. Uh, he was leading the rally at one time, first time a Japanese ride, uh, uh, driver has, has been leading WRC for a very long time. But he didn't have the tyre selection on the final day and Ogier unsurprisingly uh, hunted him down and went back through. It was, as you might expect, a race of attrition. Those two 22 seconds apart. Then a minute and nine seconds, uh, Oit Tanak, who uh, was the best of the Hyundais, they had awful, awful uh, reliability issues again. They've already sacked their, uh, or asked their team manager, um, not to come back kind of thing. Um, and uh, Thierry Neville was leading the rally when, um, not easily, but was leading the rally. And they've had the same breakage on rear suspension, and I think now three or four times. Uh, Tanak had issues as well, but he salvaged a third place. Gus Greensmith was the best of the Fords, uh, just beating his French teammate, Adrian Formo. I didn't think, I don't think that's right, actually. I thought Formo had got past him. But um, what I do... Ah, he got a penalty. Formo got a penalty. There we go. Uh, so, Adrian Formo did win a stage. Uh, then it was Rovenpera. And that was it. The top six. Uh, after that, local uh, drivers st uh, from Kenya took the first three positions in WR3. And they were seventh, eighth and ninth. Elvin Evans hit a rock uh, and had problems the other Hyundai, Danny Sordor, he got stuck in the, the loose sand, the fesh fesh, and had to be towed out, uh, eventually finishing down in 12th position. So as far as the championship is concerned, that leaves Sebastian Ogier with a 34-point lead on Elvin Evans, his teammate at the top of the standings, with uh, Neuville uh, still the best of the Hyundais, despite having not scored anything. Uh, with a full retirement, uh, did not resume. Uh, Tanak is in fourth position, and uh, uh, th that's the top four. Uh, next uh, rally is... Oh, dear, I should have looked at this beforehand. Um, my apologies. I should know that. I've got a feeling they're off to Ypres uh, next, but I may be wrong. They've been trying to get on the calendar for a little while. I know the Acrop Acropolis is coming. No, it's Estonia. Sorry. Estonia is next. Then Ypres. Then the Acropolis. Uh, if you haven't seen it, catch the uh, the highlights programme. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, before we go to some more news, a quick reminder that tomorrow night we'll start our Thursday evening with the Simcast at uh, 8 o'clock tomorrow night. Uh, delighted to say uh, that uh, the guys are back again for that. And this week it is Matt and Jordan looking at the latest updates from a set of course of Competizione and R Factor 2. Uh, the new deeper 
uh, relationship and partnership between iRacing and NASCAR. And the most important consumer question of the week, can you, in fact, drive laps staying on the track of the Red Bull Ring using only a Guitar Hero controller? And trust me, I've seen the video. Jordan has actually tried it. So that's all from 8 o'clock on the Simcast tomorrow evening here on RS1. Midweek Motorsport Series 16, episode 26 on June the 30th. Shea and Nick with me uh, at the moment. Uh, let's take a little bit of uh, Formula One news, Nick. We'll have your team by team in a little while. Uh News about pole positions that's going to, I think, oops. the link again? Oh, yes, sorry, sorry. Uh, we'll have Nick's Formula One team by team in just a moment, but now let's have some Formula One news. Hooray! Hey, see, my voice is still bad from from uh, cheering on um, the team yesterday. Do you know yet the result? Yes, Must I do. Yeah. Yes. We lost on penalties again, didn't we? Yeah, you got the wrong table, haven't you? It was oh. great. I'll just say, best atmosphere. Football can still produce it sometimes. Um, it's coming home, you know. Mm, possibly. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, news that yes, statisticians yes, are going to be bemused about. Yes, um, they've changed. They've changed what they said about the sprint race weekends. Um, there are three of them currently planned. I'm sure they'll roll it out to several more. Um, the way sprint racing is working is we're going to have FP1 on Friday and then qualifying in the same format we currently have, which is knockout qualifying over three sections. Then we're going to have FP2, something more than the sprint race, um, which is less than just less than 100 kilometers, so about a third the distance of a real race, and that will set the grid. Well, they decided the person who is fastest on Friday qualifying will not have the official pole position for the records, but be the person who wins the sprint race, even though they're getting three points anyway. Who's getting three so, points if you're fastest? No, if you win the, if you win the uh, sprint race, you get three points. All right. So qualifying now literally counts for nothing because you don't appear in well, the stats. The, it gives you position. pole position in yeah, the sprint I race. Think it's, I think it's very, very wrong, but I'm an old stick in the mud in these things. Mm. I think Jeremy Shaw would have something to say about that shit, don't you? I'm not, I'm not well, sure why. Go ahead, Nick. I'm not sure what, what, why they're doing that. Why, they, why, why don't you have... Um, a nice, you know, it gives you a chance to make the Friday worse. Like, oh, there's a pole. And then there's already something for Saturday. It's called points. Shea, what did, what did you do in terms of your stats for <laughs> Daytona when we had a qualifying session with times to determine a grid for then a race that then set the grid for the main race? How did you, Which one did you rate as the quote-unquote pole sitter? The pole award was handed out at the end of the race. Well, okay. So my pole sitters were the people who finished first in the race. Okay. Basically, I gave pole positions to Pipo Durrani and Felipe Nazar for winning the quote-unquote race. Jeremy just didn't like that, so we have differing opinions on that one. It's going to ruin people's stats, I tell you. It, it is. is. It's going to ruin. It is. Uh, uh, th th this all came about with Ross Braun, I think, Nick, having to put that right, saying... um. You know, when I told you this, well, it's not going to be this anymore. Now it's going to be that. Yeah, I don't know why they've uh, why they've done it. I, I I was surprised to read about it. Didn't think it needed doing. I thought the uh, the, the what well, I think the pointless and ridiculous sprint rate anyway was bad enough. Um, and now they're just making it. You know, yeah, you know, I'm I'm prepared to be proven wrong in, in the British Grand Prix in a few weeks' time, but it, it really doesn't 
float my boat in any way at all. It's a bit racist. Now, you nicely moved us on to the next story. Um, who says it's a bit premature and what are you talking about? Well, Lewis Hamilton, you've got to be careful how it was quoted because Lewis Hamilton appears to be saying, oh, he's not very happy about the fact there's going to be a full crowd at the British Grand Prix of 120,000 a day. 140,000 this year. COVID world. What he actually said was he was really chuffed and pleased it was happening, but was, was just concerned it might be a bit premature. So it, it was like the fourth thing down was like, you, know, you always have to read the whole articles in, the, in this clickbait world. And in fairness, I think we're all worried it might be a bit premature, so that's fine. <laughs> he's just saying what we're all saying. He's not saying, don't do it. But he's saying he's, he's pleased it's happening, but he's worried it's a bit premature. Interestingly, there's 140,000 spectators will be there, but some competitors won't be there at Silverstone. No, it's weird, isn't it? I don't think you know anything more about this. For some reason, poor Super Cup's pulled out. I don't know why. Well, the reason is, quite simply, that all the teams based in Germany have no uh, exemptions. Right. So if they came back from the UK, they would have mandatory quarantine into Germany for 14 days, which they can't do. Now, how many F1 teams are based in Germany? F1 teams based in Germany. Yeah. Uh, none. Yeah, so they're all right, you see. But one Swiss team. Hop Swiss. Yeah, I mean, obviously, in, in, in the global situation with the German, Germany's got very much more uh, quarantine uh, for everybody, not just, not just the UK. So it makes a couple of things more difficult for motor racing teams that are travelling. Mm. Um, I have another story for you. Uh, oh, yes. What's going to be longer in F1 in 2023? Oh, that's a good one. Oh, pit stops. Yes, and there's two things. But not 2023, later this year. Yes, well, that's, that's happening later this year. Um, right. This is the answer to a question that nobody's asked, I think. Why? Well, uh, Why are pit stops being made longer? Because they think that there is a... Um, basically, pit stops... They're worried about the danger of wheels not being done on properly, put up properly. This is a very dangerous thing, absolutely, and it's bad for the teams as well. They are worried that some teams have worked out that if they use a um, sort of sensor-powered uh, device to indicate a tyre is on, rather than a man putting his hand up, it's more likely to fail. Mm. And what is said that one of the reasons that Red Bull are so quick is because they are not needing a, sense, a hand up to then activate the, the green light to go for the driver because it's done automatically by a sensor through the guns. So that's one that people have been wondering why they're a bit quicker. There's no reason why they should be quicker than everyone else. I think they've got a, a, a clever sensor situation. That won't be allowed now. It'll have to be done by a man putting his hand up which will slow the Red Bull so it's theoretically slow their stops down by a couple of tenths or three tenths. What? Surely, though, that adds in the human element that is more likely to to cause issues, Nick. Just chalk it up to second strange decision of the week. Mm. I don't know what it's about. Obviously, yeah, it's quite high altitude over in Austria. It must have got to their heads. Um, um, no, I mean, it is It is the, the obvious sufferer of this will probably be, theoretically be, be Red Bull, but you never know with the normal intention consequences what will actually happen. It's a tiny amount anyway and seems pointless, but let's keep going. <laughs> so what's going to be longer in 2023 then? I don't know that one, actually. Is it, is, it, is it the Russian Grand Prix circuit? It is the Russian Grand Prix circuit. Ding, well, ding. it isn't going to be longer because it, it's not longer because that's actually the first time it will be used. Because Sochi's here next year. Correct. And then they're going to oh, I can't remember, Iaga Drive or something. Sounds like a terrible Chris Rea song. Um, 
on, um, <laughs> That's on for the following year. I like that. So they're moving it away from Sochi and put going to St. Petersburg. And there's a kind of a obviously there's an in, internal inter into Russian row about whether that's forever or they're going to alternate. Well, but... Sochi and Igora, Igora Drive, which is a Herman, another Herman Tilke circuit. It's another ski resort. So it's another resort about 50 kilometres north of St. Petersburg, right between the Gulf of Finland and the what is described as the scenic Lake Ladoga. Um, only had domestic series so far. DTM and the W Series were meant to go there, but have been thwarted by the current situation. And in order to accommodate Formula One cars, the current four-kilometre track will get a one-kilometre extension featuring longer straights and a fast, fine loop featuring dramatic elevation changes. Well, that's what you want. But, I mean, let's be honest, Sochi isn't the most popular track outside of Valtteri Bottas, who loves it. Mm. So I don't think many will be sad to see it go. I, I've no idea how good or bad Agora Drive is. It, it looks much more like a track that's got some potential than Sochi does, but um, you can't always tell, can you? It's going to be made longer, elevation differences, and some terms will be banked. Still, from a sporting point of view, it'll be an exciting sight. Uh, which other track that doesn't race very well is going to get changed? Abu Dhabi, Yas Marina. Well, let's, let's are they having a party to celebrate that? <laughs> yes, they are. The caveat that it only doesn't race well in F1. It actually races quite well in other um, classes. Um, yeah, they're, they're doing a couple of changes. The main one is um, they're taking away that chicane just before the hairpin, before the back straight. Yeah. And they are turning that into a gradual corner into a slightly, I think a slightly less sharp hairpin. Also, obviously, it's coming forward a little bit because they need the runoff area behind it. And the idea is that the cars will stay close to each other when they were, when they were being separated by that chicane. And they'll be up to DRS and slipstream speeds quicker. So it will actually make it possible to get past uh, more easily down the back straight, um, which is obviously great news to Fernando Alonso. It's just it's um, what will be 12 years too late, wouldn't it? Mm. <laughs> and he'll forever be stuck behind um, Vitaly Petrov. Yeah, exactly. So, Nick, stay with us. Uh, more news uh, with Nick and his Formula One team by team. Everything you needed to know without having to watch the form- <laughs> Formula One uh, tyre mark, tyre mark, push tyre. Grand Prix or whatever it was called um, at the <laughs> at the weekend, and also we'll be having a look uh, at the coming Austrian Grand Prix. Uh, Shea is with us with a couple of new stories here as well. We've done a bit of NASCAR, uh, IndyCar. Shea, um, welcoming back some drivers. Yes, Rosenfest and VK are both cleared to drive this week at Mid Ohio, so we welcome both of them back. And that's good because Oliver Askew. And uh, Kevin Magnuson, who were the super subs for both of those drivers in various uh, iterations, they're busy in Watkins Glen again this weekend. So ah, it's a good thing that uh, Rosenfist and VK are back. And uh, Ferrucci getting another shot with Team RLL. He's going to be back once again, his fourth race start of the season at Mid-Ohio. Um, but it's interesting because he was supposed to be doing Xfinity this year and Xfinity is actually running at Road America this weekend so that would have been potential for a really strong finish for Ferrucci getting to drive on a road course instead of an oval um, the rest of the um, the IndyCar news I think is pretty status quo although as you say um, Mid-Ohio this weekend always a good track there although it does sometimes yeah. get to be a bit of a fuel mileage race 
Yeah, it tends to be. The the people who go on three stops, they do race and race very well for the remainder of the the contest. But if you go on a two stop, it is going to be a fuel saving race. It is going to be uh, the brains on the pit box more than the nuts behind the wheel that make a difference as far as the, the race is concerned. But a couple of things to whet your appetite for this weekend. Three of the last four races at Mid-Ohio have been won from pole. It is a relevant thing, yeah. the qualifying on Saturday. Yeah. It's track a track position. Yeah. track position. It is a track that is seemingly owned by two, well, I'll say three drivers in the field. Scott Dixon, who's got, what, six wins there now? Will Power, who started on the front row nine times at this track. He's got the best average finish in the field. And one, Alexander Rossi, who desperately needs to turn his season around. His last five finishes at Mid-Ohio, sixth, first, fifth, third, and second. So he stood on every step of the podium possible. He needs this weekend to go well. Yeah, absolutely. Imza, uh, we'll talk about uh, the... Well, let, let, let's start off with last weekend because some of the things are relevant to this weekend. Sale and Six Hours of the Great Glen, great race. If you haven't seen it yet or heard it yet, go on to imsaradio.com and listen to the archive. The full race replay should be up uh, as well in video shortly from IMSA. We've got Ollie Jarvis coming up in about 20 minutes, just under, uh, just over 20 minutes. Um, and uh, he's still there, of course, as everybody else is. Uh, there were some teams with issues from last week, and notably, Shea, the WeatherTech Porsche team. Uh, are they going to be back for this Thursday and Friday? Car has already been repaired. Uh, the good news for that crew is that Proton actually does have a spare chassis on site. So if they needed it, they could have gotten that one ready for the race. But the 79 after that fire damage has been repaired. The suspension damage has been fixed. The bodywork has been scuffed out. And um, I've been told refitted to look like a normal WeatherTech racing Porsche. So it won't have any different colors on the side of it, if you know what I mean. Okay. That car is ready to go. The one that I'm waiting to hear back on right now is the 19 GRT Lamborghini. That car, which had what looked like a suspension issue for Misha Goikberg coming on to turn 11. And then he went spearing across into the pit lane, inside of the pit lane wall. Mm. Spares are at a premium for Lamborghini right now uh, because of COVID and the issues trying to get parts back and forth from Italy. That's been a big issue for all Lamborghini teams this year. Grasser's already gone through two chassis. The one that they're driving now is their third of the year, I believe. This car came from Dream Racing. It was already an older car. So they are in a situation where they actually need to get the car rebuilt. Um, GTD sticking with those stories. We do not have Faf or Magnus back again, as expected, because it's a sprint round only. And as of yesterday, the email came in that Wright Motorsport will not be there with the GTD car. They were on the initial entry list, but they will be running in the pilot challenge. But we do have some new entries. We've got Gradient Racing and Compass Racing back with their Acuras. And we welcome Gilbert Korthoff Motorsport with the Mercedes for two of our favorites, Guy Cosmo and Shane Lewis. That's going to be a fun car. Oh, that is going to be good. It's Thursday and Friday. Uh, IMSA Prototype Challenge, Michelin Pilot Challenge, and IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Challenge. We'll have the single free practice session 
uh, on Thursday, plus the qualifying for Ibsen WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, qualifying as always in sound and vision for everybody. And then the Pilot Challenge and the IMSA race on Saturday, sound and vision for those of you outside the US, audio as always for everyone, XM202 for the main race. Pilot Challenge, Shea, any news coming out of that uh, on the entry list? Um, well, we've got a couple of changes as far as the BOP is concerned. I know those are not words that people like to hear. Weight added to the winning Aston Martin. Uh, not just that car, I should say. That car is not actually back. But Aston Martin, 30 kilos added. McLaren gets a further 10 after the bump that they got last week seemingly made no difference. The car was still super fast. And then 40 kilos added to the Hondas in TCR while the Alfa Romeo get a 10 kilogram weight break. So a little bit of good news as far as they're concerned. Yeah, and a reminder, after this show tonight, 10 o'clock, Haggerty Inside Track, the audio from our video presentation on uh, Tuesday, and that will include uh, the two uh, Hyundai Brian Herter drivers from the Veloster, Michael Lewis, who actually won the Michelin moment of the race and we talked to him about that and Mark Wilkins who didn't have the best weekend in the Elantra but still came on the show and well played for him uh, to do that. N other news here? Uh, as far as well sticking with Pilot Challenge first really quick uh, Gabby Chavez is back this weekend because Ryan Norman who normally drives with Parker Chase they finished second in the Pilot Challenge race last week uh, Ryan's going to be making his IndyCar debut this weekend at his home track in Mid-Ohio oh, yes. so his teammate from last year co-champion from last year gabby chavez is stepping into his car with parker this weekend so it's going to be good to see gabby back um we did have more damaged cars from this weekend a lot of damaged cars in pilot challenge and i've only got an update on one of those so far the rebel rock racing camaro has been repaired oh. it's ready to go and the boys were actually getting will look like a bit of an easy day today because the car was clean and pretty and sitting waiting to go out um two more cars that we had significant damage from in WeatherTech, the number eight tower racing by Starworks, that car's tub was not damaged. It's oh, already been repaired. That will be going out for John Ferrano and Gabby Aubrey again. And I've just received word that Performance Tech got their engine. It came in on a plane to JFK. That car will be running this weekend. Okay. So thanks, Taylor Bedell, for getting me that information. But Rasmus Lind and Dan Goldberg will be one of the six LMP3 competitors going out. There was serious concern about whether or not that uh, car team, everybody, would be able to go out on track. All right, Shea. Uh, thank you for the moment. Don't go too far. Sarah Rigby uh, at Specutainment. Huge congrats to Topham Racing. Uh, that's Matt Topham and uh, Darren Turner, who won the GT4 class on their debut uh, in the uh, Newbridge Motorsport Aston Martin Vantage at the weekend at Silverstone won his first British GT race uh, as well of course and set fastest lap if I, I'm not mistaken from uh, DT uh, we're going to try and get DT on the show next week uh, as well Scooby-Doo says get rid of your worries about heights by Absil walking down facing the ground once you do the first step it's okay I have done that it wasn't okay it wasn't okay in by any <laughs> stretch <laughs> of the imagination. Uh, Dave Alcock says the whole issue with the weather at Pikes Peak, certainly my fault. Decided to watch Pikes Peak stream on stun Sunday dual stream with Imza. Click jinxed it. I'll watch the recording on YouTube next year. It'll be fine. Jack Martin says on a humorous side for Hyundai in the Safari Rally Kenya, they programmed their 
uh, headlights to strobe flash in order to warn the animals to get out the way. And they were the only ones who had near misses with zebras. That's right. That's absolutely true. <laughs> and he reminded me it was Estonia uh, as well. Dave Alcock says, if you haven't seen Jordan uh, driving a car via Guitar Hero controller, it's well worth watching. Brilliantly uh, hilarious. Mad simultaneously. Inspired lunacy. And he has... I'm going to retweet the link because I did think Jordan has replied saying inspired Luna to see are my two middle names. Um, that's tomorrow night uh, on the Simcast at eight. Ella uh, Filipponi for you, Nick. Why doesn't F1 limit the number of people in the pit lane? That would naturally slow down the pit stops and fewer pit stop members uh, would be in potential danger during the stop. I, I, I don't understand why there has to be 20 people around the car. Because it's a spectacle. But it isn't. You can't see what's happening because it's too quick. Well, it's a politic spectacle. But no, I mean, there's obviously, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I don't know. I, you know me. I think they should, they should throw everything at it. So I'm not going to be in favour of reducing anything. I'm very anti the budget cap. Spend, spend, spend. That's what it's all about. Test every day. Do you honestly day. think an F1 pit stop is a better spectacle than, say, a NASCAR Cup when it's, Two guys with rattle guns and five stud wheels and a bloke yes, running yes. around either side with a jack. Honestly, yes. I think that's silly. Neat, 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 neat. That was like well, that'll go. 19, 1952 was great. That, but yeah, they, I know next year it's going to single wheel. No, I think I do think that the um, the F1 pit stops are incredible. Absolutely. Um, I think it's incredibly dangerous. I do. Well, Realistically, I don't think there's been that many, you know, when they've got the wheels on, there haven't actually been that many um, no. problems with the pit stops. Although Valtteri Bottas scared everybody at the wheel. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the biggest danger is and always is the front jack man. And that won't change if there's one person no, doing the pit true. stops or 175,000. It's still the bloke he's got to stand in front of somebody and hoping he can break properly on an uneven surface when he's really going for it. I still think they should get away with having the mandatory stop for tyres and see who can make the tyres last. No, they did that. It was a terrible year. It was 2005. It was useless. Uh, they have tried a lot of this stuff, you know. Mm, yes. I, I still think what they should do is they should have to run all three compounds. Yeah. Then you'd have a, then you'd have a two-stop race, but you can choose how you want to do it. Yes. Possibly. Uh, That's my idea. It's not my idea. It's on the other side. I thought it was a good idea just breaks up the race more it really does uh before uh, team by team this just coming in from reuters uh tourists going to france will have to pay for covid tests uh that coming in from the reuters news agency i'm indebted to marcel duc who has fired that in uh, on the day when the aco are sending out tickets to members and others hmm? thought they had to anyway that's from the french side of things yeah uh. And presumably, you'll still have to isolate on your way back as well um, if you're coming back to the the UK. But that's this week. It could all be changed. One well, way the problem is obviously we, we, the UK is currently having a massive surge, but, it's not, but no one's getting ill. So they don't know what to do about that, do they, really? No, true enough. Uh, we'll leave that for other people Change to decide. Uh, Shea, thank you for being with us tonight. I think uh, we'll let you go for the moment. Okie dokie. Speak Bye. to you tomorrow on, on uh, imsaradio.com. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you very much indeed to Shea Adam, uh, our North American correspondent.
talking to us live from Utah. Uh, add spec attainment, please. And uh, let's move on to F1, team by team. So more Formula One. Hooray again. Hurrah. Hooroo and hooray. Well, it's, it's back, it's back to back hurrahs, isn't it? So, yeah, you know. It's, tr- it's a triple header, actually. With right. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Uh, and let's start yes. at the back of the field. Two do not finishes. The first being George Russell. So let's take no, Williams. Yeah, Gasly first. Well, in the official results, Russell is listed further back than Gasly. Interesting. Your official results are wrong because it was Gasly. Well, I know that. Are. I am going by the official results on the F1 website. Williams, well, mate, let's start with Williams racing. Uh, yes, yeah, so well, um, uh, George did particularly well throughout the whole weekend. Almost got into Q3. In fact, he did get into Q3 in a way, and he ended up qualifying tenth after Yuki Tsunoda was given a penalty for uh, impeding Valtteri Bottas during qualifying. Uh, and then put in a good start. He picked up a couple of places when there was a coming together between Pierre Gasly, who we aren't allowed to talk about first, and Charles Leclerc. Um, and everything was going very well. He was in the DRS train. It looked like he was definitely, I mean, in fairness, I think he would definitely would have got points. I'm not sure he got as many as he thinks he would have done. And then obviously, after reasonably good reliability throughout the season, obviously the car chose that time to break down and lost pneumatic pressure. And he made more and more stops. And eventually retired, so a bad luck. But the point was made because he was obviously punching way above his weight. Correct. And that's all we're doing at the moment is, is comparing him against somebody in another car and seeing whether they're punching above their weight. Um, yeah, that, which isn't happening, of course. Uh, let's see if he's not a great weekend for him. He, he almost he almost looked good uh, in qualifying, and then it was it, it was it was really found just to be the fact he managed to be at the, the, the front of the curve of the track evolution. Um, not bad. But just not particularly, you know. If you're going to say define an average weekend with someone getting sort of what the car can do, you have a picture of Nicholas Latifi up there. Uh, and, he, and he did pick up a puncture on the first lap, so on, which wasn't his fault. On the FIA um, new um, grading system, Pierre Gasly was the next out for Scuderia. So he was 19th, and yes. his teammate. Uh, was Yuki Tsunoda, and he was a lap down in 10th. Yes, well, I mean, um, Gasly had a great, great qualifying uh, and then proceeded to be hit and hit everyone in the first lap. I think he got hit about four different cars. So his main issue was a couple of coming together with Charles Leclerc, the second of which punctured his tyre. Uh, as he went up to the, to the quite tricky turn three, even though, of course, they the second real turn, uh, he was trying to get out of the way, and everyone wasn't really avoiding him too well, so he kind of got battered around by about three other cars, so it looked worse than it was. Luckily, the FI worked out there was actually no further action. It was a racing incident. He then crawled back to the pits with his, with his wheel in bits and his suspension not working, and retired and felt very sorry for himself. Uh, Yuki Snow, as I said before, had an interesting weekend, picked up a pit lane penalty, did seem a little bit more on the pace overall, the Alpha Tauri pace, not the PA. Pierre Gasly pace, um, scrapped about the midfield and managed to score a point, um, but didn't crash during qualifying, which is a plus point. Um, so, so, yeah, I'm sure happier with him this week. Yeah, needed to get that under his belt, I think. Uh, 18th for Nikita Mazepin for the ukulele Haas F1 yeah. team. Uh, his teammate uh, was two places further up in 16th, Mick Schumacher. Yeah, I, didn't, I think realistically they were both a bit poor this weekend in a poor car. On a small track, it's going to get shown up if you're off the pace and you're going to get lapped a lot of times. They decided to have a scrap with each other where they both looked a bit clumsy. Um, Mazepin lost a lot of pace after his pit stop, so he ended up quite a way behind Schumacher. But it wasn't one of Schumacher's best weekends either, so I think realistically neither of them was covering themselves in glory. They'll probably keep their head down and hope things improve this weekend. 
Uh, next up, uh, we've done Williams. So it will be 15th, Antonio Giovinazzi for Alfa Romeo Racing Olen. His teammate, Kimi Raikkonen, just outside the points in 11th. Well, after the last two races where I've completely not had anything to say about Alfa Romeo, I, I actually said to myself at the beginning of the race, I need to have something to say about Alfa Romeo. And I forgot. Um, you know, uh, Kimi, Kimi didn't pick up points. He um, started on the hard tyres, uh, so ran the contra strategy, got into the DRS change, couldn't get past with did some overtaking, got overtaken, you know, there or thereabouts, was, was, could have got a point or two. Uh, Giovanni actually was a little bit more unlucky with um, the start and the positions. Uh, and came fifteenth again. They were knocking on the door of a point with one of the cars, but you know they they, they really are looking to pick up the pieces of a, a number of problems for, for other drivers. And the car doesn't really seem to be moving forward. It's just you know a little bit better than it's a bit better than the Williams in race trim and a little bit worse than Williams in qualifying trim. But races is where the, the position they handed out. All the way up to fifth, by the way, was one lap down. At fourteenth, also one lap down. Esteban Ocon. For Alpine, his teammate Fernando Alonso was in ninth position. Yeah, so ever since um, Espinocon has been given a new three-year contract, um, he's been significantly uh, outperformed by Fernando, who certainly um, uh, appears to have got uh, the majority of his mojo back after a slow start, which we've seen from a lot of the guys who didn't, didn't get very much pre-season testing. Just going to show how complicated these cars are. You just can't just hop in and drive even hours in the simulator. Uh, look good. Uh, for the car, the car is, you know, unfortunately, it's not as good as Ferrari, it's not as good as a McLaren, it's not as good as the, after, as the Red Bull, and it's not as good as the Mercedes. And when all those cars finish, that's eight places blanked off straight away, yeah. isn't it? They all yeah. finish where they should do. So he's fighting for ninth and tenth, and he's fighting against Alpha Tower, he's fighting against Aston Martin. Um, and this time he managed to get ninth because there was, was some problems with some of the other cars. We didn't get uh, one of the uh, yeah, so they didn't get all of the, the top cars into them because Ricardo dropped it out of the top 10. Um, so he got two points. Um, but he's driving well. And then there's mm. a car that needs to be improved. Uh, in 13th, a former Claren, it was the Australian Daniel Ricciardo. And yeah. his teammate uh, was Lando Norris. He's Lando Norris. And Isn't he was in fifth. Yes. First of the yeah, last cars. Danny Ricks had a bit of... A bit of um, uh, stick over this weekend. I mean, they've been, oh, he's still not got it. I mean, in fairness, he didn't qualify brilliantly, but he was driving absolutely fine. I think he got himself to eighth and, and was moving forward, moving seventh, when he had a momentary, or I say, say momentary, quite a reasonable loss of power that needed to control or delete. And he lost about six places, uh, which weren't very easy to get past him because everyone had DRS. Um, so his, his result looks worse than it should, but he did qualify poorly, so it's his own fault as well. And he is being comprehensibly shown up by Lando Norris, um, who is driving very, very well and to the potential of McLaren. However, we did see the potential of McLaren uh, was when, when you actually get on a track um, for an entire race without any yellow flags or uh, virtual safety cars or safety cars, his potential effectively is a second slower than a Red Bull. And over 71 laps at 71 seconds and then one hour, one minute and uh, nine seconds, it means you get lapped in fifth mm. place. So the car, yes, it's the best of the rest. Um, and does show that for all the perceived issues that Mercedes may or may not have, what actually has really happened is that Red Bull have caught them up and they're both massively better than everyone else now, rather than just one team being massively better. Uh, one place further up in 12th position for Aston Martin Cognizant Formula One team, Sebastian Vettel, his teammate Lance Stroll, got points in eighth. Yeah, good weekend for Lance. I think, you know, he's again, see, he suffered from the same. He was behind, he was the fastest car who wasn't a Ferrari, 
McLaren, Red Bull or Mercedes. So in a way, he won Division Three. I mean, this is, this is unfortunately the way everything's split up at the moment, um, at, certainly at this track. So, you know, and I think Lance looked pretty good. He managed to keep the, the car together. He didn't fight things he couldn't fight. And, max, and he maximised what you could get. And that's all you can ever really ask of a racing driver. You can't say you've got to win when you've got a car that's not good enough to win. you just got to maximise the result. Um, Seb, not quite sure what happened to him. He, he kind of failed. He got stuck in that, that DRS train. Didn't seem to make much progress. Flat spotted his, one of his tyres as well in a couple of, whilst defending unwisely. So after a couple of good races, he's had a race which is like more meh, not bad, just meh. Um, and of course, it's uh, it's they're back there next week, so they're going this weekend, so you guys should have to try and improve. But yeah, I mean, the points for, for Aston Martin, very welcome. Uh, so we now uh, move up to seventh and six, Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz for Scuderia Ferrari. Yeah, after the disaster that was uh, France, uh, because they had horrendous tyre issues, it's really, really weird to see that. Um, here, they were actually very good at managing their tyres compared to the rest of the midfield and were coming and, and from starting quite lowly positions, well, Charlotte Claire, because he threw it off the track, um, they managed to drive through the field on the harder tyres and both of them were, were moving forward. Now, Charlotte Claire came from dead last up to seventh and Carlos Sainz was sixth and probably if he hadn't been um, stuck behind Lewis, uh, Lewis Hamilton after he came out of his pit stop, he probably would have made fifth. He just lost a lot of time because he didn't know or wasn't sure whether to unlap himself again. Mm. Uh, from Lewis and Lewis was it was in full management mode at that point. So uh, yeah, I mean, again, six and seven, it's nearly nearly what they could get, and a, and a great comeback from the problems they had in France. But still, you know, really, you know, it's Ferrari. Should they be that happy about that? Uh, the top two teams, of course, Red Bull in fourth and first, and Mercedes AMG Petronas Formula One team in third and second. Do them whichever way you want. Well, I think I'd do them together, really. Um, I think what you have to say is the first thing I will say is that uh, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton are significantly better than the rest of the field. They just drove away from the field, including their teammates throughout the race. Max Verstappen drove brilliantly all weekend, did it on pole, won the race. Great stuff. Lewis drove very, very well on Sunday, a little bit wobbly on Saturday, but it didn't matter because of Valtteri's penalty. So he started second, finished second, got the fastest lap, minimized the damage. But the problem really is, is that the the development of the Red Bull has now taken to a point where it is the fastest car. They've had a couple of good results and a couple of good circuits, and and, mm. and it comes down to the, then they're now really gaining on the fact they can get just pull a little bit on the straight. Now that doesn't isn't just time. It means they're basically it's very difficult to overtake a car that's faster on the straight uh, in F1. We saw that when uh, Ferrari were cheating a couple of years ago with their extra power on their engine. It made it, you know, they, they, they just, you just couldn't get past them. How much faster were in the corners and Spa and at uh, Monza. And it's all because of the clever people at Mobile One. And I've spoken to a few people about this since we oh, spoke about true. it earlier on today. And yeah. people who know immeasurably more about this than we do, um, people from um, race car engineering, and there'll be an article about it in the next uh, edition. This is all about using... Um, uh, things that you'd normally put on your face to take your lines off yeah, in a Mobile One engine oil. Well, that's it, because Christian Horn asked why, why why would they get it, and they said because they're worth it. Um, but um, Very good. No, I mean, the, the idea is that they've they've they've, they've, they've used it. They've done this sort of thing where, you know, they've looked at lots of other compounds and seen where they work in the oil, and apparently one of them does, and it's given them extra, 
extra, it hasn't given any extra power, but it's enabled the car to be better lubricated, which enables you to run hotter, which enables you to have a little bit of extra power, but also enables you to run less radiators, which gives you less drag. So that's the thing to remember. It's, it's those two things. However, I'm not actually sure that's the advantage. I just think there's an element of, of, of Red Bull developing the car particularly well generally. And also, you know, the, the, the regulation change at the end of the year, and the low rake and the high rake, yes, and, and absolutely, it's it's you know a disadvantage to the low rake cars. The reason being, of course, the high rake cars continue to make their their downforce from the underbody, whereas a lot of the underbody downforce, a lot of some of the underbody downforce has been lost by Mercedes. Underbody downforce is relatively drag free in comparison to overbody, and therefore, to get the same amount of downforce, Mercedes need a bigger rear wing, and a bigger rear wing means they're slower on the straights, and that's why they're losing the time. I think it's a basic aerodynamic situation more than anything else. Yes, it helps that the engines are working well. It helps they've got an engine that's as good as um, Mercedes, or perhaps even slightly better. I mean, at the altitude, that's, that's never been a strong point for Mercedes, as we know, either here or in Mexico. So, yeah, I mean, and, and what you're seeing is, you know, a year that wasn't supposed to happen being developed really, really well by Red Bull. Um, now, talk about that too. Valtteri Bottas was particularly average. Um, unfortunately for Valtteri, he now stopped getting out of the pits in free practice two, got a penalty, then put in actually a relatively good performance after the afternoon, lost it, ended back, and then was very average on the, in, in race day. Again, very quickly, wasn't good enough. Uh, very quickly, uh, this weekend, slightly different tyre compounds. Yes, it's one step softer for everybody, which we would think would throw it all up in the air. But unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, it's also going to be 10 degrees cooler. Um, so perhaps even 15 degrees cooler in track temperature and there's possibility of showers. So that is probably uh, all of that. The the tire the softer tyres is good news for Red Bull because they work better on a slightly less supportive sidewall than uh, Mercedes do. But the cooler weather and the chance of rain obviously gives more chance for Mercedes to make up a deficit, which realistically at the moment is huge. Uh, and very quickly, finally for you, Nick Curry's just asked: Will George uh, be announced as the next Mercedes driver at Silverstone? I, I presume. Um, by no, just seeing George, you know, because no, like she knows him that well, she means George. Yeah, Russell. I, there's a there is a there is a, <laughs> there is a there is a there is a situation where announcing it too early um, might mean Valtteri decides not to be very um, helpful. Helpful, um, but on the flip side, don't forget that um, they they don't want to leave Valtteri without a chance of getting a drive somewhere else. So there's kind of an ebb and flow. I mean, you, you know, even though Lewis said, oh, he'd like to have Valtteri, what else is he going to say? Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense because Bottas really isn't contributing anything really in the races. Certainly tactically, they can't use it. No, indeed not. Uh, Nick, thank you for the moment. It's midweek mortar sport coming up to nine o'clock. With a reminder, we've got the Haggerty Inside Line show in audio coming up after us tonight. And news just in. Big news coming next week. A new partnership with the Cayman Islands. It's worth waiting for. Still to come on Midweek Motorsport. And is there any chance you could bring some dessert to the VO booth, please? Ah, yes, Mark. Always just like uh, a bit of pudding at this time of night. All right. Uh, so still to come, that extra programme tonight uh, from the Haggerty Inside Line uh, with all sorts of of stuff inside track excuse me uh, from Haggerty uh, we'll uh, have the guests on from the Tuesday show this week uh, we've got Declan Brennan joining us as we uh, go inside the uh, MotoGP paddock and try to unravel the conundrum that is uh, Maverick Vinales your thoughts please on at Specutainment 
Uh, and, well, I mean, I, we're going to try also squeeze in a little bit of a halfway look at this season as well for MotoGP. But next, it's the big interview as we look back and forward, back to the six hours last weekend and forward to the rest of the season with EW2 Mazda DPI driver Ollie Jarvis. On RS1. Just after nine o'clock here in the UK on a Wednesday night. It's just after, what, three o'clock in the afternoon where Oliver Jarvis is. Ollie, welcome to Midweek Motorsport and the big interview and congratulations on the win with your Mazda teammates at the weekend in the sale in six hours. That looked like a tough one, sir. It certainly was. Um, amazing victory for the whole team, but it was not an easy race or an easy weekend for that matter. I... Said in the commentary, I thought your car had had pace ultimately in the race. Take us through the machinations of getting, never mind to the last pit stop, of just getting it race ready because, you know, you, you tested, you had practice in qualifying, then you had to do an engine change. That was by no means an easy, straightforward weekend for, for you and the rest of the Multimatic Mazda team. No, definitely not. And I think, you know, there was a lot of expectation on us arriving uh, at this particular track. It's where we won in 2019. Um, you know, we were very dominant back then. A lot has changed. You know, there's been a change in entire, a lot of BOP changes. But um, sometimes when you roll a car out of the truck, you're, you put it on the track and everything just works. You know, and you can do a whole weekend and just change a few clicks on a damper or maybe slight, slight changes on roll bar or ride height. I mean, we rolled out Friday and the car was just completely out the window, um, which is quite unusual for us. Very unusual, and yeah. Every time a driver got in the car, we were making changes. We, we didn't have the luxury of, of even using the same driver to make them changes because with, with two one-hour sessions, we ran three drivers for this race. I got four time laps on the Friday, as did Jonathan. I think Harry got a few more. And then, for example, on the Saturday in, in the test session, I think JB and Harry got four or five time laps. I got a few more because we did the quality session. But it was basically one run each. Wow. So you were making a change to the car and taking the driver out, which is it's quite an unusual way of doing things. But we just had to shortcut the process. And we, we struggled. We made a big step for qualifying, which was too far. And simply for the race, we kind of we kind of backed off to, to somewhere between where we ended the last test session and qualifying. And we were hopeful going into the race that that would put us in a good window. Given what you've said then, and the fact that the guys and girls had to change uh, the, the power unit uh, overnight uh, on Saturday into Sunday... How important was that warm-up session then on Sunday morning? Because we don't always get one in IMSA competition. No, I think, you know, we warm-ups are a funny one because we begrudge it because we have to get up really early, um, <laughs> even if the race is at five in the afternoon. So, you know, the whole team sort of moans about warm-up, but then it's, it's circumstances like that where it really plays in your favour because it's, you know, when you do an engine change, it's just really nice to get that one lap. We do an install lap, as we call it. We go out, drive around, come back to the pits, and it allows the crew just to check everything. Yeah. Check everything's, you know, everything's running correctly, everything's being put back as it should. And then it, it also gave us, I think we 
you know, a lot of people, they in warm up, they'll scrub tires, they'll check the balance, but it's, it's not a focus. We were still using warm up to get a read on the car for the race. Wow. Um, as it turned out, we didn't, didn't make any changes from warm up to the race, but it also gave us that little bit of confidence. You know, I think we, we top warm up probably, you know, we were probably one of the very few cars that was actually pushing. And, um, but it, Again, it just put us in a better position with more confidence heading into the race. Yeah, confidence is a funny thing, isn't it? When, and and it, it, you can lose it very quickly, but one little session like that can bring it bring it all back. I'll come on to the race in a second, but I want to go back even further because the previous race was at, um, at Detroit, and the car clearly had pace at Detroit. You were battling for the, the victory there. Now, obviously, a very different uh, atmosphere uh, and not atmosphere a characteristic of of track at detroit very bumpy street circuits um oh, it's got some medium quick corners as well uh, again though how does that build into knowing that you're going to a six hour race okay we've we've had a quick car um got a little bit of a, a bop break as well that kind of thing you would have thought would have been positive so to come off the truck in not such a good place at, at the Glen uh, must have been a, a real disappointment to you yeah Detroit was was like you say very positive because I think it's been it's probably the one track I would have highlighted before the start of the year as maybe a, a potential weakness for us um, the street circuits it, it's definitely suited the Cadillacs more in the past so to arrive there and, and to see the pace we had was really encouraging I mean I think we really should have come away with a, a podium. We just got overcut in the pits, um, you know, as is as is the case in IMSA. It's a lot of strategy involved. But, um, you know, I, I challenged Felipe. I think we, we did the whole race nose to tail. It's nice to, to have a good battle with an ex-teammate of mine. <laughs> um, but, you know, it would have, would have been nice to get the podium. But what's amazing about IMSA, and I was chatting to a, our damper guy about this, actually, is... You know, you, you go from Detroit to somewhere like Watkins, you could not go to two different circuits in terms of characteristics and damping. Um, so, and this is where, you know, I love racing in the US and, and I love the US tracks. These tracks are so different that one just doesn't lead into the other. Yeah. You know, there's so much difference on the cars or different directions you can go in the damping to make the car work that, throughout the year you're going to see different manufacturers different cars you know and, and even different teams running the, the same cars you know we've seen it already here in Watkins Glen you know the the mayor Shankar struggled in Detroit and was the fastest car at the weekend so it, it's it's so dependent on getting the the perfect setup for, for the individual tracks we got a really interesting uh, Twitter conversation going on in the middle of the race, actually, about some uh, about the, the the difference in in atmosphere between the IMSA events and events in in Europe, and, and particularly the ELMS was highlighted. Not saying it was better or worse. Not looking for the the, the differences in, in terms of being critical or saying one was better than the other. But there is a difference in in atmosphere in the paddock, um, and and I can't 
there was a few good ideas put out there. I always think that it's good that we, you know, generally speaking, had centralised catering and everybody mingles around in the in in the US. Uh, it's quite open, but you can say that in terms of access. You can say that about the ELMS as well. But there is just a, a little bit of difference in in the character of of the event as a whole. All. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and I certainly noticed it when when I came over. I feel like it's much more open. And I don't know why that is, um, you know, just walking around the paddock, you, you feel there's a very friendly atmosphere. Yeah. Um, you know, you can walk into other people's awnings, garages. Um, and, and I think the racing's really hard and it's really tough racing and it's just accepted that you are going to, you know, you are going to have contacts, you are going to have incidences and it's kind of just left at the, the weekend or, you know, Maybe maybe it lingers for one or two, but then it's forgotten and everyone moves on. You know, there's a lot of respect because we're we're aware we share the track and and we, we were chatting about this during the week actually. And I think one thing, you know, I loved my time in, in the WEC, but if you have a quicker car, you'll go win the race. Yeah. 10, 15 seconds bar a problem. Whereas whereas in IMSA, you could have a, a car that's a second quicker. It doesn't guarantee you the win because yeah. with an hour and thirty to go. You could, you could, you know, safety car comes out, you get jumped in the pitch, you go down to fourth. So you're constantly in these tight battles with your competitors and, yeah. and the racing's hard. And I think that, that builds this form of respect and openness off the track. You said something there that came up actually in that Twitter conversation of uh, IMSA Radio at the weekend and IMSA TV. You mentioned awnings. Yeah, there are some tracks where you're in garages in the US, but for the most part, everybody works out of an open pit lane and then they go back to awnings in the paddock. It's much more difficult to to lock yourself away there, isn't it? I know the trucks are there and you know you can you can get away. But in general terms, the teams are a bit closer together. We've seen in the past some teams lending other teams bits of equipment. It was an engine hoist that was loaned from Turner Motorsport to Paul Miller racing uh, a couple of races ago. It's that sort of thing that makes it a little bit more collegiate in the paddock. But my goodness, it's it's no less cut and thrust out on the track. No, and I think that's... I hadn't thought about that, actually. Um, you're very right. You know, when I was in WC with Audi, you, you're in the garage... And your trucks are directly behind the garage. Correct. So you don't need to walk through the paddock. Correct. <laughs> you walk. You don't you see anybody other than your back. teammates. Exactly. And you're in your own little bubble. Whereas here at Watkins yeah. Glen, for example, you know, it, from pit lane to to our trucks is probably a 10 minute walk. And in just that, you're walking past other team members, team personnel, drivers, you know, and you, you start communicating and, you know, if you if you do that over sort of ten races a year, you start to build relationships yeah. and get to know people in a, in a different way. And I think also you touched on the hospitality thing. When you have these hospitalities or these big hospitalities, it's fantastic, but you end up in your own little bubble. Yeah. Um, you know, I saw it in the DTM. I saw it in WEC. You know, in, in DTM, Mercedes had their hospitality, Audi had theirs, and, and the pit lane was split. And you almost didn't see the Mercedes guys. Yes. You know, which sounds crazy. You you could go a whole weekend and not see them. I can't remember who it was all who who said to me, it was a driver that said to me, it's kinda of hard to to have 
um, a, a bit of a, a battle with, with somebody that carries on off the track when you've got a stand in the queue at Marion's for your breakfast the next morning <laughs> next to the same guy. You know, words can be hard, even harsh words, but ultimately, if and then you can go... Shall I get your coffee? Yeah, all right. And then and then it's kind of forgotten and off you go until the next time. And I thought that was a really, really good point. Let's get on to the race uh, uh, before we start talking about this weekend. Um, the six hours, the sale and six hours of the Glen is one of the absolute classics on a very traditional natural terrain road circuit, as the Americans call it. Um the, the challenges have become different over the years. It was resurfaced, what, a couple of three seasons ago now. It's a wee bit smoother. New tyres, as you mentioned, a couple of seasons ago. So the speeds and the lap times are phenomenal now all. It's a real commitment track, isn't it? Yeah, the track's just superb. Um, you know, just to try and explain it to the viewers, for a driver, this is everything we love in a race circuit. It's fast, it's committed, it's flowing. Uh, the grip levels... It's it's really eye opening. You know, you 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 roll out onto the circuit and the speeds you can carry are just incredible. You know, you we're I'd say we're a gear higher in every corner than you'd expect to be really? looking at the track. Wow. Yeah, you, you look at a corner and you're like a third gear corner. You know, you and then all of a sudden you look at data or you're you know, you, you get to feel the grip and it's a fourth gear corner. You can just carry so much more speed because the the track surface is so grippy. Mm. And, and I think that's what makes it. I mean, it's a great circuit in its own right. But if it was a low-grit track, it would be a very different experience altogether. Yeah, I, I noticed as well just how many outside passes were getting made, either for position or indeed, you know, when the DPIs like yourself or Harry or J-Bomb were, were, were going uh, through traffic, even through, you know, a battle for the GTD lead or the battle for the LMP uh, GT uh, LM lead or LMP3 lead, you were able to go round the outside. So there was a couple of grooves there as well. It made for very exciting viewing from our point of view in the Haggerty Global Broadcast Centre. Uh, what was it like in the track? Because it looked like somebody actually did say, right, nice advert for the video game. Can we now go back to seeing the real life? Which I thought was really quite funny. What was it like in the car, in that kind of traffic situation where you really can't let up at all, can you? No, you, you just can't. You can't afford to back off. Um, it's so competitive now. And, you know, I think this year I watch, I obviously watch the race and, you know, you start to get a, a feel for where you can and can't overtake. And I feel this year it was even more, you know, there was more ability to overtake around the outside. Great. Um, great. You know, we've always done it in the carousel, um, but I felt the time loss in the carousel in the past was much more. You know, now we're going around the outside and you're only losing two tenths, you know, but you're completely wow. off the racing line. Whereas if you take somewhere like Road America, where you've got the long right hander, if you go around the outside there, you end up in the gravel trap yeah. because it's marbles, it's off camber, you know, but to see people after carousel, you've got turn six, seven, you know, these are tight hairpins, but to see the DPIs passing around the outside of them, that's, that's very unusual. Yeah. yeah, that's very unusual. Even... For the whole year, yeah. You know? So the grip is all the way across the circuit. Is is that more important for you guys? It, it has been a feature in the past. Um, you guys have got the smallest engine, four cylinder, turbocharged, two liter. Um, in traffic, uh, it means you've got a dynamic car. It turns very well. But is momentum 
your friend then in that car as against the cars that have got, you know, five litre plus V8s, normally aspirated. Uh, they, they've got a bit more low down grunt. So do you have to be a bit more um, decisive in traffic and try and keep that minimum corner speed up? I think you used a great word there. And, you know, that's, you know, momentum. We really need to keep our momentum, to keep our minimum speeds up. That's where we make our lap time. So, you know, if we can get around the outside and keep that minimum speed up as opposed to stopping the car, and, you know, and, and V in the corner more, so, you know, braking hard, stopping it and trying to get them on the exit, it's much more beneficial to us if, if we can go around the outside. Yeah. So, yes, there's, there's certainly a difference there. And it's something we feel with the Mazda in traffic, we do get hurt on the, the tighter, twistier tracks. Certainly the, the Cadillacs seem to have, a you know, an incredible ability just to get the power down and you know get out of the corner because it's one thing having the power but it's also then transferring that power through the rear tires onto the track and you know the tc and suspension and everything working in unison end of the race got to ask you about this you did uh, you did your stints ultimately you have to then stand and watch a teammate which i always think is is it must be absolute absolute torture because there's nothing you can do. You've done your bit at that point. Tinks double stinted it to the end, didn't he? And out comes the opportunity to come in um, for your last pit stop. Uh, how much number crunching was going on? Because you, as a team, whoever made the decision, and you can tell me all about the decision-making process, no tyres, where some of the, the cars that you were racing took two tyres, and you took only the amount of fuel you needed to get track position. How quickly did that decision have to get made? <laughs> um, in a way, I wish people could hear what goes on on the stand, but it's probably a good job <laughs> they can't. <laughs> so on the stand, we have an intercon system. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of intelligent people up there. But on calls like like that there's so much discussion going on which is a great thing because everybody has a slightly different opinion and you know drivers have their opinion there was me and jonathan bomarito up there you know you've got lena of course but she's also got a, a full team behind her larry holt and there was a lot of back and forth um and ultimately you know unfortunately for lena at times she has to make that call and they got it absolutely spot on but you know, the, the first call was, do you come into box under yellow? Which was definitely the right call. Yes. I think the, the top four cars made yes. that decision. Others, you know, if you're at the back, it's quite easy to say, do you know what, we're going to do something different. Correct. But when you're at the front, it, it's very important that, you know, you, you play the percentage game. So that was the right call. And then it was... It was a bit of a strange one because if the race had gone yellow when it um, gone green when it should have done, mm. there would have been a splash. Yes, but I believe the ten and the one got um, mixed up, or there was some yes, exactly discussion right. about what order they should be in. So I think we had two more laps of yellow, which was about six uh, minutes. More, yeah, exactly. So that's about three racing laps, maybe even three or four racing laps. Wow, that changed the whole dynamic of the race. So we went from having a s splash to hold on a second, we can stretch this. And then it became about fuel numbers. And fuel numbers is, is a very difficult thing because 
you know, the team's only as good as the information they're given. And and what we hear on the intercom is, you know, I think we can make it on 2.2. And then someone's like, I think it's 2.18. And it's that it's, <laughs> but, but that number is constantly changing because every lap Harry does that, you know, if he has a, a lap where he uses a bit, bit, bit more fuel in traffic, yep. all of a sudden that comes down. Yep. You know, and what we were saying on the, the pit wall, and I think one area where the drivers were able to, to sort of add some experience was we were saying, right, bank some fuel now. Yes. And that's what I felt the 60 did. So if you've got to get to the end on 2.2, for example. That's, what's that, leaps per lap? Uh, I actually don't know. Oh, it's, a, it's just a number. <laughs> it's just what you measure for it me, by. For me, it's just a number. Okay, yeah. got you. Um, okay. If it's 2.2, you know, I was saying, let's run 2.15, 2.16. Yeah, because back. you might, you're going to need that fuel at some point. Because in traffic, you often use more fuel. Yeah. You know, if you've got to, if you've got a choice, for example, into turn one, because the way we say fuel is to lift and coast. But if you can just get ahead into the bus stop or into turn one by using a bit more fuel, it's more beneficial because you gain lap time. Yeah. You, know, you put a car between you and the competitor. And that's what we did really well. And that's what the team managed really well is, is we managed to bank enough fuel so that Harry's last lap was flat out. But it's also having that confidence that you've got the, the fuel in the tank. And the, the other factor was how long the race is going to be. Well, I was going to ask you about that. So when you came in in that yellow flag stop, you didn't think you could make it to the end if it went green when we all thought it was going to be with probably somewhere around about just under 50, five, zero minutes uh, to go. As it was, we knocked about another six minutes uh, off off that, as, we, as we've said. So was that a full tank, a full fill that you put in, or was that a timed fill to say, well, we're going to have to splash anywhere. We might as well get track position. And was that a consideration? Or was it just, hey, let's brim fill it and, and see what happens? No, that was a full fill. Right, full okay. Fill. So then at that point, you think um, we're not going to get to the end, but then there's two more stops. So then you're on your fuel save, and you've got to do that from the start. You can't ask somebody to do that with 10 minutes to go. It doesn't work. Ask Kevin Magnussen. Um, uh, Chip Ganassi didn't quite get the numbers right uh, towards the end and he had to fuel save uh, very, very hard towards the end of the race. Um, but then there's the time. Now, you've mentioned that there. I was counting this down on the commentary and looking at Dennis, our flagman, uh, and he, he didn't appear to have the white flag in his hand. And I was looking and I'm thinking... I think they're going to have to do another lap here. And then at the almost at the last moment, the white flag came out. I don't think you guys would have made it if you'd had to do another full-speed lap ball. No, so I think, I, I believe it was about three, four seconds. Um, yeah, if we'd have been three was. or four seconds quicker, yeah. the race would have gone another lap. Because, you know, it's not a it's not a race that's run by number of laps. It's a, it's a time thing. Correct. So... Did you have to? Did you have to get onto? Did somebody on the wall? Did Lena on the wall? Lena Geard, the, the engineer, car engineer on there. Did she have to be talking to Harry to say, uh, "We we don't want to do another lap, H. You know, uh, bring that gap down a bit. He's not catching you enough." You know, is is that the sort of conversation that was going on? So they actually didn't tell Harry about that because it, <laughs> it's to to try and describe that while he's in the car. It's information he probably doesn't need. Um, wow. You know, 
so what they were doing is, you know, every time we crossed the line, they'd, they'd work out how long was left in the race. They'd then do their calculations. And then they were trying to slow the pace down naturally um, and back him, not back him up, but use the fuel also to slow him down, Yeah, you know, by, by giving him a, you know, less fuel to use per lap. Yeah, and it, it was on a tightrope, and and then you've got to factor in the traffic. You know, if you if your last three laps are clear, you you're going to be three or four seconds quicker. So, it really was a, a fine line. But it, you know, we were very conscious on the pit wall that it was, you know, whenever Harry got a two three second gap through the traffic to Olivier Pla, mm. it was then about conserving fuel, but also backing that pace up because we we didn't want the race to go that extra lap. No, and. I, I... And, and it looked to me as as though Tinks ran out at around about what was it turn seven on the slowed down lap. Yes. So uh, so that that wasn't flat out. So there's no way you would have made another lap at full speed there. No way at all. No, I think we ran the last two laps flat out. So you know, if they weren't confident, if we'd have saved, it would have been very tight, very very tight. Like I say, we were playing with with very finite numbers. You know, there was very little margin for error. It was brilliant to watch. An absolute grandstand, typical grandstand IMSA type finish after a late race yellow. Uh, you're there still. That's where you're talking to us from in the, the Finger Lakes region of New York because we've got the the replacement race for Canadian Tire Motorsport Park uh, on Thursday and Friday. A bit of an odd one in terms of the timing. You've got a bit of practice on Thursday and then you, you're racing on Friday. Same track different mentality because it's only the two hours 40 race and it's only you and tinks um there's a different mentality in the the sense that after qualifying you know we didn't qualify well we changed the engine overnight so we went to the back of the grid and there was no panic you know the first stint i just fuel saved looked after the car i tried to stay out of the trouble because i knew at some point you know if we could fuel save a bit we'll jump jump the five in the pit stop if I couldn't pass him on track, which I eventually did. But I knew the race would come to us. You know, that's the way it works in IMSA. It's a very different way of going racing to Europe. The 240 is very different. Um, qualifying is going to be more important. Track position is going to be more important at the start of the race. And you haven't got that luxury of, of sitting back and letting the race pan out. You know, you need to go get stuck in. So from that side, it, definitely have to approach it different as a driver in the car but you're still f- going to be flat out yeah. you know all the same things we were doing in in the six hour race you know it's still going to be a flat out race with a bit of fuel saving you know even though you're fuel saving you, you're still pushing hard yeah um, you're still taking risks in in traffic and that and i think for us now you know that win for me was probably Mazda's best win because we didn't have the quickest car we had a yeah. competitive car but we didn't have the quickest car. But we played ourselves into the race in the right way. We stayed out of trouble and we made the right call at the right time. And it's one of those victories that you often see the 31 and the 10 get throughout the years where, you know, they've not really been in it all the way through and all of a sudden at the last minute when it matters, they're there. So for me, that was an an incredible victory. Um, But we're also very aware that the 60 and, and the 10, were very fast. So we, we've still got a lot of work to do with a, a very short amount of time. I think it's just one one-hour test session. Yeah, it is a, a much truncated weekend. It's going to be a bit cooler, quite a lot cooler probably as well uh, on Thursday and, and Friday. 
does that make a, a massive difference to how the car needs setting up all? No, certainly around here it doesn't seem to change it too much. Um, there are tracks where when the temperature rises, you know, it makes a huge difference on the balance. You know, you quite often pick up a lot of oversteer. Um, but I think here it's such high grip. Um, overall, we'll just maybe, you know, if it's a bit cooler, you pick up a bit of downforce. The car's always a little bit better in, in them cooler conditions. So you could well see quicker lap times. Um, but I don't think it will have a, a huge effect on on the direction we take with the with the setup of the car. We talked a couple of Fridays ago uh, for the 30th anniversary of, of Mazda winning Le Mans, and I said then, and I'll say it now again, you guys are championship contenders, um, undoubted championship contenders, and have confirmed that with the the win last week, and that would be a lovely way for the Mazda DPI program. Uh, to to be wound up as it will be at the end uh, of the season. In any way, does that not the not the end of the program, but the championship? You always go to race tracks to win, but in, in being in with a shout at the championship now, legitimately, does that change the way you would approach any of the races that are coming up? Um, you know, I I always say I, I don't look at the championship, but I'd be lying if you know this year in particular seems to have more relevance. You know, you touched upon the fat Mazda are leaving. Um, I think the class is going to be very different next year before the new regulations come in. And I think myself, Harry, and the whole team have this amazing opportunity to to fight for it this year. And, you know, we certainly are aware of that. Um, you know, you try not to let it affect you. I mean, I, I read this morning that, you know, the 10 saying that they, they've got one eye on the championship. And, you know, for us, it's the same. For example, you know, we wanted the victory. I've said all along, I'm happy to win. I'd be happy to win the championship with, with podiums. You know, if we didn't yes. win, even if we didn't win a race. Yeah. The championship for me at this stage is more important. But you always like to get a win. You know, it doesn't have to be two or three, but to get a win throughout the season, you know, it, it it's just important. But not as important as the, the championship. But for me, for example, you know, the race at the weekend, if we felt the 60, you know, we were going to potentially throw it away by fighting the 60, you know, if they had a bit more fuel or better fuel economy, you know, I think we would have, have let them go and settled for second right. because there was a, a four second gap behind Yeah, because points for second was still good enough. Yes. Um, yes. You know, we'd clawed some back. We'd, we'd still claw some back on the 10. So certainly, I do feel whether you whether you want it to or not, it does change your mentality slightly. Yeah, I think it's got. I, I think it's got to when when there's something as big as a as a, a championship title uh, going for it, it's you know it's a bit like a football game, isn't it? Getting towards the end of a league season, it's nice to keep winning, but if you only need a draw to win the championship, that's got to be in the back of your mind somewhere. Um, you know, avoid defeat as they as they say. Yeah, in, in football, and if, if we're set. If we're second in a race, you know, and we we have that 50-50 chance to get the win, it might be this this season you don't take that 50-50 chance and put the car at risk. Yes. You, but it also depends who's ahead. Correct. You know, because, and it's these factors that will play out through the year. You know, for example, if it's a car that's not in the championship ahead of you, that has a, you know, a very different outcome to if it was a 10 or the 31, for example. Yes. So I think whether you, how aware you are of it at the time, 
I'm not sure, but it's certainly these are the things that, that are coming into play as the season progresses. Uh, are you looking forward to the weekend? I mean, you know, you've come off a win at the same track, um, but motor racing is no respecter of that. Everybody starts at ground zero uh, again at the weekend, but you, you must have a wee bit of confidence and the team would have been ecstatic on Sunday night. Yeah, there was, there was an amazing um, atmosphere in the team Sunday night. Um, you know, every team works hard. Um, the guys and girls, they, they put in some serious hours. You know, they, they don't do motorsport for the money, that's for sure. You know, it's, they do it because they love it. And they're, they're the same as drivers. You know, everybody talks about drivers being competitors and that. But the people that work within a team are the same. You know, you don't get up at five in the morning and, and do these long days and work weekends if you don't love it and you don't have that competitive spirit. Um, you know, there is they have the highs and lows that we go through. So it's so nice to be able to see them, you know, see see the reward for that. Um, so we, we all had a drink after the race Sunday. And actually, you know, we, we went out for dinner Monday night all as a team. And there was a really nice atmosphere. Good. And, you know, it, it, what's, what's been really nice is actually having this back-to-back. You know, it's very easy if you take your, your Sebrings, your Daytonas. The, the guys and girls have to pack away straight after the race. Yeah. Um, so even if you've won it, you know, by the time you get to see them, it's, it's sort of, if you take Daytona or Sebring, it's like two in the morning. Yes. You know, whereas on this occasion, we've, we've got to see them, went to the track Monday, said hello to everyone. They're, they're prepping the car had dinner Monday night with them, you know, Tuesday again back at the track. And that's been really nice, actually, just to have that little bit more time and just enjoy it all as a group. Yeah, nice part of the world to be in as well. Well, we wish you well for not only uh, the next race, which is uh, Thursday and Friday. We'll have coverage, of course, over on RS2 uh, IMSA Radio on imsaradio.com. Send our best to all the lads and lasses at at Multimatic and, of, of course, Tink's. Uh, as well, uh, who I take it he'll be on the golf course somewhere at some stage. You know, I know what he, <laughs> I know what he, I know what he's like. Uh, and good luck for the rest of the season. Um, the summer of Mazda was something extraordinary, right in the fight, as I said, with the championship as well, uh, and given us plenty of excitement and entertainment at the Sale and Six Hours of the Glen uh, last weekend. Let's hope for the same this weekend. It's Imza. I, it will be. I've, I'll, I'll shout myself hoarse again by the time we're finished on, on Friday night. Oliver Jarvis, uh, thank you very much indeed from Team uh, Edemitsu Mazda. Uh, good luck uh, and thanks for being with us on Midweek Motorsport. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. So Thursday and Friday then for our IMSA coverage over on IMSAradio.com. And uh, tomorrow night, tomorrow night, nine o'clock, the uh, On The Grid team are talking kids' books this week. Noted motorsport PR guru and author Grant Rowley joining the show to talk about a series of five new motorsport-themed children's books called Little Heroes. The books follow the journeys of motorsport legends Jim Richards, Peter Brock, Molly Taylor, John Bow and Dick Johnson are a sensational addition to the motorsport publishing landscape. Find out all about that from 9 o'clock Thursday on RS1. And uh, they'll also be talking about the current dramas, uh, which are similar to what we've already been through as well. Um, so plenty on On The Grid tomorrow night with uh, Shebex Creelsey and the rest of the team. Uh, top story this week was from the world of two wheels of MotoGP, the story of uh, the uh, news that Maverick Vinales will cut short his 
contract with Yamaha at the end of this season. We promised you a deeper dive into that at the start of Midweek Motorsport this week. And to do that justice, we've brought back uh, Nick Damon. Good evening again, everyone. Good evening again, John. And we're adding the uh, not inconsiderable knowledge of two-wheeled motorsport of Declan Brennan. Hello, Dex. Hi, how are you? And quickly before we start, uh, I wouldn't even advise buying the children's story about Dick Johnson because the swearing in that will be absolutely extraordinary. (laughs) So uh, the only... I was like, given his name is two versions of a slang for penis, it's hardly surprising, is it? <laughs> yeah, they didn't get off to the best of starts in the Johnson family. Anyway, sorry, we co- that's a completely different podcast. So, uh... <laughs> oh, dear God, getting these two together is always, always a worry. Um, right, let's let's get to the big news first. We're also about halfway through the MotoGP season. So I kind of want to have a little look and, and have, uh, if not a half-term report, at least give us an idea of, of where we stand. So that news came through. It started bubbling up at the weekend, gentlemen, and it has been confirmed now. There was a, a lot of very non-denial denials from everybody uh, concerned. Uh, the... Uh, the actual statement, let me get the actual statement because uh, what Lynn Jarvis of uh, Yamaha said, I think is probably worth everybody hearing. He's the managing director of Yamaha and he said, it's with sadness we'll say farewell to Maverick at the end of this year. We're in the middle of our fifth season together and over the years we've achieved many highs but had to engage uh, and manage many lows. After the German GP, which was the most difficult weekend of our partnership, we had important decisions in Assen and came to the conclusion it would be in the interest of both parties to go our separate ways. Yamaha will put their maximum effort, as we always have done, to give full support to Maverick and to finish the season in the best way possible. It it did sound to me, in even in the, the early uh, parts of the... MotoGP weekend, uh, both at Assen and, and the weekend before the, the late parts, Dex, that it, it had gone. The relationship had gone. Uh, Maverick finished last. He finished a, a poor last at that. Not the, In Germany, yeah. Yeah, in, yeah at the Saxony. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. It, it, uh, not that finishing last can ever be described as being good, but it, it, it wasn't a fighting last. He wasn't coming back from anything. He just never had the pace all weekend. And his... Uh, demeanour was poor. Um, so it's it's going to happen. He's going to go somewhere else. Um, Aprilia said they would quite like him, but the I mean, I, I, we'll come to that in a minute. Let's talk about Maverick himself and his state of mind. How much of this is in Maverick's head? Because he jumped on the motorbike with no changes made from the bike that finished last at the Saxon ring and put it on pole position uh, and was fastest in every session when... When we got to Assen. So what's changed? Just the mental application from the rider? John, if, if, if we and he knew that, then this wouldn't be a problem. Hmm. And that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it's the, the lack of any level of consistency uh, in his performance is entirely due to his inability to harness the talent he has consistently and his inability to be affected by everything going on around him. And I've said this before, I this, that there's almost evidence from this last year, didn't he? I'm going to get the, the Grand Prix wrong, but I think it was, uh, it may have been Magello 
sorry, Mizano, when he's on the front row and then there's an issue with it, with a tire, they have to change the tire. Mm. It completely threw him sideways from pole and he went backwards in the race and finished nowhere. And I, and I've said this before on the show, it, it, it's, he, he shows the signs of somebody who is at a point in his life where mentally he needs to find reasons to fail and not reasons to succeed. And that is a, that, and that is a, that's a sports psychology issue and it's a psychology and it's a mental health issue. But from a sports psychology point of view, uh, if you look at the two people who probably needed it most last year was he and his teammate. Yes. And his teammate looks like he's, he has busted through any barriers he may have had or any baggage he had from the absolutely appalling finish to the, to last season and has, has come out the other side of those. And Vinales hasn't Vinales. And arguably because of that, Maverick Vinales has gone the other way. Yeah. And, and it's a it's it's a tough it's a tough one to watch from f- when you understand how much talent he is. And we talked about this. And Nick, I, I don't know if you agree, but I'm gonna I I would say there's an old thing that Sevi Ballesteros used to say about Sandy Lyle. He said if we all played our our best game at the same time uh, in a in a competition, Sandy would win and I'd be second. And he's talking about everybody in the world. <laughs> and I think if they all ro- rode their fastest on, on on one day, he would beat Mark Marquez. Mm-hmm. Because he's that talented, but he doesn't has has no understanding of how to harness it. Uh, the the sort of language Nick that was being used by Vinales was uh, a lack of respect being shown to him from the team. Um, he, ma- he 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 sort of massively threw the team under the bus. No, he didn't sort of. He did. Um, they have no idea of what's going on technically. He was using some very inflammatory language. So. The relationship, as I said, had broken down. But then he comes back and puts the thing on pole position, slightly noses up the start and has to come in second behind his teammate um, after fighting his way through to second. Doesn't have any kind of joy on the podium. So leaving Yamaha, that's one thing. But how did we get him, given what Dex is saying, how did he get to this point? That Yamaha is not a bad motorcycle. It's leading the world championship. So how did he get to this point? Is it just, as Dex suggesting, a fragility of his um, mental ability to be able to zone in and use his talent? Well, I think it's, it's, it's you know, the, I think realistically, yes, it's just, it's all in his mind. Yes, he's had some years when the bikes haven't, haven't hasn't been as good. He's had the years when the bikes been the best out there. Um, and as De- I, you know, I hate being in, in violent agreement with Declan, but I completely agree <laughs> with everything he said, because, you know, it is a inability to harness his definite talent. I, I don't necessarily rate him as highly as Declan, even on his best days. I think I don't think he's a very good racer. I think if you get him out the front, yeah, no one's going to overtake him. But I don't yeah. think he's particularly good at coming into the field. But that, again, could be because he has issues about, you know, mentally taking risks and everything else. So um, probably the final straw was, you know, he when he was partnered with Rossi, at least he was the last couple of years, he was the team leader. And uh, once Fabio comes, he's not even the team leader. So, so even his team doesn't love him very much. I mean, he's, you know, 
he's walking away from was it nine million euros perhaps back to nine million euros but he's obviously desperately unhappy he's not desperately slow and that's an interesting thing isn't it really he's not one of these guys who's gone over the top and just disappeared and never comes back and we've seen plenty of those in MotoGP especially when they um, are trying to struggle back from injuries he's not really hurt himself very much as well so he's quite a he's quite a, a, a relatively unscathed racer but you know I think perhaps you know in this in this world of airbags where you have to be absolutely on the limit and prepared to fall over mm. and fall off perhaps that's not his mentality perhaps he'd be better off you know 25 years ago you had to stay on the bike not to, not to end up in trouble uh, uh, Prilla, John, sorry Tex oh, oh, before we get to that yeah. Matt Oxley pointed out something to address Nick Matt Oxley from uh, Mo- Mo- uh, uh, Sport Mo- Mo- Magazine he's yeah, mega his, his you can't his his weekly blogs are unmissable and he pointed Great. out and it's something that's pretty startling Uh is that when he joined Yamaha in 2017, he came out of the blocks uh, gangbusters. He won three of the first five, and uh, he uh, looked um, almost unbeatable on that bike. And then Michelin changed the carcass, the structure of the carcass of the tyre, and he's won five Grand Prix since. Yeah, yeah. And, And that's absolutely extraordinary when when you it, it, when 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 you look at it in, in in the bare black and white of that that's absolutely extraordinary and again and that could be in his head or that could be that could be an actual a, a physical fact that that uh, that he is now struggling with a with a, a different tar and he has done effectively for the last four years but mm. but the the move wherever he goes i think is a particularly to uh to an Apria team that's moving away from Grassini that effectively is going to be running uh, effectively a new team running a Aprilla. Yeah. Well, let's you know, know. We'll come back to that in a in a sec. It's interesting okay. what you said because the other th- the other thing that he said was he doesn't like he can't ride the bike when there's no grip. And Neil Hodgson on Basic T Sport, who I respected awful lot, um, and I've interviewed him a few times, and you get exactly what you. You, you see with with Neil with Hodgie, he said you cannot be like that as a drive as a rider, Nick. That that would be like, you know, that would be like Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen saying, oh, "I really don't like left hand corners. I prefer right. <laughs> I, I absolutely prefer right, and I don't like going yeah. downhill, uphill, fine." Or, or a rally driver saying, "I really don't like when the car breaks loose." Well, uh, yes, exactly, I'm, I'm... <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, the issue is, is that I, mean, I think he's felt that when he wasn't being listened to by the team. He's been complaining about all the problems for a while. Again, Fabio turns up and there isn't a problem. Yeah. And then you turn around and you just look like you're, you, well, he obviously perceived it's because he, he, he is therefore the respect is gone. I think that's, that's probably what it is. It's they're, they're prepared to believe the new boy who is admittedly doing much better uh, since the first race. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a different situation. You've got someone who's, who's emotionally, who's mentally fragile in a sport where it is, uh, where eighty-five percent of your speed comes from your brain. Yeah, yeah, good point. Good point. Right, let's let let's let's talk about where he might go. Uh, uh, Prilonik's been mentioned. He's big mates with Alicia Spargaro. Yeah, and, 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 and Alicia has come out uh, very strongly to say yes, he should come to Prilla. Uh, Prilla themselves have said, and I quote: "If he's available, we're interested." Well, of course. There, there, there would, would be. But Dex has brought would up a they? good point. Would they? Well, I, mean, I, 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 you know what? I don't see why a factory team would want to employ him. 
I genuinely don't. Especially when Apulia have been courting Dovi, who's a much better idea as a consistent mm. finisher all the time. You know, he is consistent. He is he is the antithesis of Vinales. He's Mr. Consistent compared to Mr. Flaky. And you're trying to develop a factory team again under new management. Well, the last thing you want is someone who's fantastic one week and dreadful the next. Well, I, I genuinely don't see why you would pay Maverick Vinales to, to ride your GP motorbike because you don't know what you're getting from week to week. And the one thing you need to know is what you're going to get. I, I couldn't agree more. I, oh, this is ridiculous. Welcome to Full Agreement, the Full oh, Agreement podcast. I promise this uh, won't happen again. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it, it doesn't make any sense. If somebody in his state, uh, and, and I, again, uh, I use the word advisedly, but but his uh, current uh, mental, mental, state. Oh, yes. mental state is not what a, a team like uh, Aprilia, Aprilia needs, a Priya. I, I'm going to stick with a Priya. Uh, honestly, We've talked about it before, specifically with them. Is that as as hard and as uh, as hard as Alish tries, and as and and as much as he's getting out of the bike, they need to put somebody on that bike who's a level higher than him, mm-hmm. but is also consistent and can develop yeah. and can and really feedback. give them good feedback yeah. and doesn't say things like "I'm not really good" when there's low grip. Uh, <laughs> In, in fairness, well, De- De- it is. It is Dex. Uh, 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 Priya is is the least successful of all the manufacturers. There, they've not even had. Never mind a win or a podium. They've not had a top six finish. I don't think in in MotoGP. They have been better in more recent times. It, it could be that Vinales could jump on that bike, and it will be totally to his liking, um, and. He'll get them on the podium straight away in the early part of of next year. It could be that, but they go. They still have a ways to go for my money, Dex. Appear, I'm talking about. Yeah, of course they do. Of course they do. And I, I just seems to me that that the 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 romance they're having with uh, with Dobby is is the logical way to go. He's an Italian. He's he's uh, unquestionably fast. Uh, he's he's experienced and this is the thing we, we we don't mention with Maverick and is that he's 26 years of age. He's in in real terms he's very young and he's well even in Moto GP terms he's very yeah. Young. There's Moto three riders older than him. Yeah, uh, Fanati and and uh, and McPhee McPhee. And, and he's and, yeah. and they age out. They've only got a season or yeah. uh, season and a half it's, it's, before yeah, they age like, out. It's like a. Uh, uh, Logan's run uh, at the end of the season they're all shot so uh, <laughs> asterisk not actually true renew, for anybody renew renew <laughs> renew that's what it is. so so, so <laughs> oh god tell you what though Jenny Agatha was marvellous always marvellous always marvellous now listen uh, so I'm going to throw this out there there's been a few people who have been very unkind uh, on the socials uh, on the uh, comments on some of these stories and, and Dex was absolutely right about Matt Oxley by the way, Motorsport Magazine get on there, read it everything he says is, is worth every word is worth reading from, from Matt, he's got his finger right on right on the pulse um, some people have said that's it it's the end of his career, if he goes to a prayer and he doesn't win there, where does he go after that, which is a fair point, uh, you know should he go down to World Superbike should he take a year out? Dex, what does he need to do? Because my worry is, and I'll say this to both of you, Dex, you, you come back first on this. My worry, if he is 
has that fragility at the moment that we're talking about in his temperament, in his approach, in his confidence. If he goes to prayer and it doesn't work for him, it could end his career. Oh, 100%. It's uh, absolutely the case. And that career could end like very quickly, uh, particularly if if he doesn't change in terms of his attitude and, and the the way he seems to be working. Uh, uh, the Here's a, my thought, and I posted this on, on, the, on the, the collective, and, and I'm very happy to say this, that my thought is, He's 26. He's just had a a, a baby, but uh, a baby. Uh, he genuinely should take a year off. Just mm. get away and and don't don't take the Aprea ride. Get away. Uh, just just get his head together. Uh, live his life. <laughs> uh, work out what he wants to do and come back. He's 20. He'll be 27 when he comes back. He has arguably nine to ten years left if he wants to. And. Uh, and he needs to work out how to get the most out of his own own career. And I'm not sure jumping on the uh, Aprilia is the right. I'll give you an example. Uh, the, there's a, a whole new generation of, of American golfers coming through, uh, all young in their early 20s. Uh, guys like Colin Morikawa and Matthew Wolf. And Matthew Wolf took four months off recently because everything got on top of him. Right. And he couldn't. He literally couldn't cope. And he was. And he just took. He just stopped and went away and and just. Took basically took a, a a mental health break from professional sport, and he came back and he's all the better for it. For it, and we don't give enough. Uh, uh, we don't acknowledge uh, remotely enough the the pressures that human beings go through. It doesn't Correct. matter what they do or who they are, and sometimes you have to just say, you know what, he's probably working through stuff that we don't know about. And maybe he needs to do that away from the spotlight yep. and away from yep. the pressure of the MotoGP. Uh, uh, and we've... And that is a very pressurised. It is a very pressurised oh environment, yeah. particularly in yes. COVID times. They've been one of the most uh, active in their protocols and such like. The, the B-side of that, Nick, is for any sports person, particularly in motorsports, not being there, the worry would be, for me, if I was Vinales, that I'd be forget, forgotten about. Um, yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, I think that is the, the other worry. I also think that, that Maverick, you know, is, is convinced that the issue is environmental. He's, he, he has convinced himself that a change of scene and a change of team and a team doing inverted commas loves him hmm. and looks after him and sees him as a saviour rather than a liability is, is what he needs. Now, as we all know, you know, it's very easy for anyone in any uh, world of life to, to, to delude themselves about what their actual problems are. Mm. Um, but he has decided that Yamaha is the problem. That's why he's walking away from a $9 million uh, deal, Euro deal. Um, and therefore right. he feels he, if he was somewhere else, he could do as well as he was doing his first four or five races for Yamaha those years ago. Uh, it, it begins a merry-go-round that nobody expected to have. And therefore, there is, all right, end of this season, um, there's a seat coming up at a top team, Dex, that nobody expected. Does this mean there'll be a shuffling within the MotoGP paddock? Or will it be simply a case of someone coming up from Moto2 earlier than perhaps we'd anticipated? Or, or a current, at that stage, by the end of the season, the current World Superbike champion. Let's not forget top rack. Uh, if, if we're going in that direction, I think oh, that, that, on, you think the, he's going to win. You think he's going to beat? I think Johnny? 
I think I think his, that's what he's aiming to do. I think the reason he he's already said, stated publicly that the reason he uh, any uh, energy drink clash sponsor clashes aside, the reason he mm. didn't uh, take the 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 ride that Gerloff took at the weekend was because he wanted to focus on on his uh, it, it winning the the World Superbike Championship. And I think if he does win the World Superbike Championship, I think there's an every chance that he will uh, he'll he will pursue that ride and he might even get it but i think the, there's a lot of options john and there's a lot of options not even not even moto 2 based if you think about it this Gerloff is an option who's now got more experience on a on a, on a yamaha after and he this did weekend. all right yeah he did all right he did and he generally everybody was impressed by him particularly it's a track he didn't know a tire he didn't know there was a lot of uh, the sessions were rained ra- he, he actually did pretty well there's Gerloff. There's Morbidelli could come from 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 the the satellite team to the. Oh my goodness, how great would that be to get Morbidelli on? Because Morbidelli, uh, the, the, they have that he he is in hiding to nothing with that bike right now. And obviously his injury is it means that this season is a write off. But he was just his his it felt like his performances were getting worse because the bike is just isn't up to the task because uh, he's got the 2019 effectively. So. Uh, he could have him move up, maybe Gerloff move in uh, along, and then th- there's one more spot in in a, in the uh, Patronus team. So there's there's a lot of changes coming to Yamaha, and I don't know, but I would certainly my belief would be that I think Gerloff could end up featuring there and possibly Toprak. Uh, Toprak is. Is he, is he Monster or is he Red Bull? I, I keep getting it the wrong He's way. Red Bull. Right, that, He's and that's the problem oh, because... It all comes down to blooming energy drinks. Well, the, the, well actually, it's it's a bit I'm more uh, it's a bit more difficult than that, Nick, because um, Top Rack's manager, Keenan Safoglu, um, yes. is absolutely wedded to the money that, that he's getting from Red Bull. And... There are a few people in the Superbike paddock who have said that that will hold back at Top Rack. And, yep. I, and, and I think that's that's a real issue here. If Safoglu can't be persuaded, then, you know, potentially Top Rack, Top Rack can't go. Because surely, of that clash. Surely top right will only be going to the Petronas team anyway, because Franco Morbidelli will get a promotion to the main. Well, that was well, that was what you would there think. You go. But even at the even at the Petronas team, oh, it, it's the Yamaha and Monster connection. It's Correct. so bizarre. It's that, uh, it, and that's only in that paddock. So it just it, it's very odd. Uh, it's a very odd situation. But it reminds me of people forget that Stefan Bellof didn't go to Ferrari in 1986. Uh, granted. Uh, obviously, he, uh, we know what happened, but but he he was blocked from even talking to Ferrari because because um, Marlborough uh, clashed with his Rothmans contract. Mm-hmm. So this is not an, an anything new. It's just gone from cigarettes to, uh, to energy drinks. But it's basically the same problem that that the sports uh, motorsport has had for a long time. Can I throw something uh, in here, though? And I accept that it's a different quote unquote manufacturer, but it's really not a manufacturer in um in, I nearly said LMP2 there, Moto2, in Moto2. Um, Ralph Fernandez, Remy Gardner, Red Bull riders, oh, both? Well, well, that's... Ralph Fernandez, weirdly, has been very vocal about saying he wants to stay. I know. Uh, in, in, but to be honest, he, there's no way he's not staying in, in, in Moto2. Uh, we have... Uh, he, could, he could be definitely... Uh, a potential Yamaha rider. I would think, obviously, they would have to pay an awful lot to get him out of his uh, his uh, Red Bull shackles. And uh, 
<laughs> new brand of shackle. And uh, the, but you're right. The, the Red Bull shackles clips your wings. And and John, oh, that's, that good. is also very good. John, there is one thing that, that, to your point about uh, uh, Maverick being forgotten. The reason he probably won't opt out and, and take a year off is exactly that is because we the pipeline of talent coming out of the <laughs> the lower formula, uh, uh, the lower classes right now is absolutely astonishing. Mm. And and there's, uh, you know, literally almost nowhere for him to like there'll be people filling those seats very quickly, <laughs> very quickly. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's a it's a it's a really hard one. But. But you're right. Uh, ultimately, uh, that that's that's the big issue. Is he does that? But but I don't know what's going to happen with the the two uh, top guys in Moto Two. Uh, Remy obviously is going to find a spot on uh, on the Tech Three bike, I presume. But I've no idea what's going to happen to Fernandez. He might even win the championship. Yeah. Which is, and then well, having already declared that he doesn't want to move up, which which won't happen, of course. No. Then he will he will move up, no doubt. All right, we're running out of time uh, to do our uh, mid season. Uh, report there is a, a long gap now nick uh to the next uh moto gp race so we can probably um fire that in in the next couple of weeks i'll get you to back together but just just a, a thought from you uh um, about about the championship so far this year quattararo 156 to joan zarco 122 uh bagnaia 109 joan mayer uh, 101, had a bit more form on that Suzuki, uh, kept his championship hopes, in inverted commas, alive. And Jack Miller makes up the top five on 100 points. Yeah. Nobody else in, in triple digits. And in fact, it is Vinales on 95, who's next next up. A uh, couple of sentences about the, the championship so far yeah, this year. Um, we'll go into it in more um, detail in the yeah, coming weeks. Right now, Fabio's going to win, and I'm just chuffed because my one prediction's come right. Marquez has won a race and won't win the championship. Mm. Yeah. And he won the race he should win uh, as well, of course. Good to see Zarko Dex uh, on the the Ducati and, and Frankie Bagnaia as well, Francesco Bagnaia. Well, you know, he's the man. I think uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, make a uh, you know change change the uh, context of the uh, of the whole uh, proceeding so far and uh, and disagree with Nick. Fabio, it's Hooray! Fabio Quartararo. It's it's Fabio Quartararo's to lose. Yeah, but there are shoots of there's little bits and pieces little signs from Bagnaia that if he if he just tidies up qualifying he's getting more out of that bike uh, than Miller and Zarco well, granted Zarco's in, in a satellite team so he's arguably do it he's to be second is pretty remarkable for him but Bagnaia has probably lost races this year because of qualifying performances yeah. if they can uh, find a way to get further up the grid consistently I totally get the agree. feeling that there's going to be a challenge from Bagnaia in the second half of the season. And the other place the challenge is going to come from is Miguel Oliveira, who's paying for a terrible start. Because yeah. Miguel Oliveira, even that ride at the Saxon Ring, that was brilliant by him. He yeah. did everything he could, everything in his power to force uh, Mark Marquez to keep riding at the speed he did. And then at the point when he knew that's all he had, he backed off. And he said it after, he said, listen, come in second to to Mark Marquez at the Saxon Ring is like winning. He's a smart, smart rider, and that really bike smart. is fast. Yeah. And when that bike is on, on tracks that where it can win, he will win, I think. And I think that's might throw a bit of a spanner into the works this year because uh, 
He's not going to win the championship. He's only got half the points of Quattararo thereabouts. Yeah, he's a little too far back. Paying yeah. for a bad start when when uh, when the bike just wasn't agreeing with the tire. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think it, but I think what it wasn't just not agreeing with the tire. It was having an actual visible argument with it and pointing. It was a finger. literally. It was having a stand up row, turning the table <laughs> over and walking out. That's pretty <laughs> but, uh, pretty much it. Dex, Nick, thank you very much indeed. As I said, we'll get them back uh, again in the next couple of weeks in the break in this mid season break for. Moto GP uh, to look in a little more detail at the the first half of the season, uh, gentlemen. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Oh, and I, I thank you very much. And, and I'm now going to jump in a, in a in a car and drive to Watkins Glen, New York. Excellent. Uh, which is a perfect way of reminding me that we have got uh, the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and the Mission Pilot Challenge. Uh, practicing qualifying for WeatherTech on Thursday and races on Friday this week. Hooray! Midweek races. I really quite like that. That's on imsaradio.com, RS2. A lot of it in sound and vision as well. Join us for that if you uh, will, because it'll be brilliant, as it always is, at the Glen. Thanks to all our guests tonight, particularly Ollie Jarvis, also up there in the Finger Lakes region of uh, New York, and, of course, to all of our contributors. And uh, go and have a check on when we're on air. Your time, it's listed at the bottom, imsaradio.com. Uh, no time to explain. Uh, the Llama uh, is off to get a Yamaha ride. <laughs> <laughs> this programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at radiolamont.com.